Liam, you look like you're sitting a little low today. Did your chair shrink? I have a standing desk, so I go oh. I go up and down. Oh, so okay. I, I was standing when I started, and then oh. I said, no, this isn't going to work. Oh, you ever set it to automatically go up and down so you can do squats while you're working? <laughs> <laughs> that would be good. I don't. My, mine's just, you got to hold it down. So here, uh, yeah. But I, I rarely ever use the standing, but sometimes it's good, especially, you know sitting in front of these machines all day long. Right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to this week's action for everyone for this here, November 20th, 2022. I am, as always, your host, Mike Scott, joined by the inimitable, the invincible, sporting his very own Big Bitches 2 shirt that you can get currently in our very own action for everyone Redbubble store. Vice Victus, how are you today? Yo, link trees and all those links and stuff. So where we at. Soon we'll have OnlyFans, maybe. I don't know. I got to ask my wife about that shit. See how she feels about that. Yeah, we out here. We out here doing big things, big on the internet. As while Twitter explodes, we do. We we still out here keeping it real, keeping it raw, keeping it rough, but sometimes gentle. That's what we doing. Yeah, it's good to be here, guys. And also joined by the man who uh, has uh, had some very good news this week uh, that Radial is about to actually uh, is going to be filming, and there are already. Uh, props and stuff being made. Liam O'Donnell, welcome to welcome back, bud. Oh, thank you, thank you. Yeah, no, that, that was uh, applause for you. It's always nice to see the the monster shop up and running, and uh, they they literally like all of our, our our alien suits were originally built by Alan Holt, who we had as, as a guest on here, and that we store them in coffins, like these big plywood <laughs> coffins, after everyone, and then you just pull them out and. Uh, you know, the, the, it's another shop in Spain that's done Skylines and now would be doing radial and they, they dust them off and they rip them all out and they kind of refurbish and remake. And, and, uh, and now we're, we're, we're making new claws and making, there's obviously some new aliens and stuff like that. So it's, uh, it's really exciting. And, uh, yeah, obviously we'll be keeping everybody, um, up to date on the behind the scenes of that. This is kind of one of the things I've really wanted to do since we've had the podcast, but haven't got a movie made in the past year. So uh, really, really kind of looking forward to doing a uh, behind the scenes of an entire shoot while we do the podcast, because I'm not going to stop. Never stop posting. Never stop podcasting. 
and I know it's all uh, it's all hush hush, but hopefully soon we can start uh, having some casting announcements too. Um, that that I think will yeah. uh, make people real happy if we can when we can actually announce them. So fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Uh, yeah, but wait, but for real though, like real quick, I just want to like. So I know, like, I always talk shit, like, you know, oh, we did the podcast, it's just like support yourself, but like, you did it, man. Like, we're doing it. Do you doing it? Like, I, 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 I haven't had, a, I haven't had a way to figure out what to say this properly, but like, um, because like, it's not. I, I joke that it's I'm making this possible. I mean, you know, I'm just joking, but like, I'm not a part of it, but like, just to be like, I don't know, with you doing this, it feels really great, really special. So like, you know, I'm happy to like. To be a part of it, you know, I'm not, I'm not doing anything, you know. It's you are, like- you are, you, you're, you've, you've been, you've, you've nourished me, and, and, and as our guest talked about in our pre-show, uh, your, your, you know, passion and expertise and action is very uh, educational and inspirational for a lot of filmmakers, I think. Uh, and so, you know, getting to talk to you and Mike every, you know, week has been has been uh you know a, a, a great outlet for me uh, i feel like it's been a great creative outlet and it's also been a a, a real educational resource and um and yeah no I, I really really thank you and and uh i i hope it feels like you're a part of it because i think you are it does it does still feel very weird that i spent my friday night fighting with the director of skylines about twitter etiquette so right? <laughs> it's crazy right <laughs> 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 always be hashed it out because that's yes. what um all right and that that does lead us to it's been entirely took entirely too long on this intro so i apologize we have a very special guest this week uh he is known as the director of some kind of hate he is known as the director of daniel isn't real he is known as the director of arch enemy uh which is an amazingly uh impressive action movie if you haven't seen it adam egypt mortimer how are you thank you for hey what's up happy sunday it's uh it's it's awesome to be here you guys fucking rule i you know i hit up um liam after i heard the timo episode that's that's actually how i wound up because i was just saying like that episode was awesome i love i was dming timo also because i i know the dude and i was like what's up cool show i I have so many more questions and i hit up liam and i and i was just basically like look let's get a coffee because you know i'm I'm thinking about action a lot these days. I have a thing, you know, and you were like, okay. And then you were like, wait, I'm too busy to have a coffee. So let's just have the conversation and turn it into content on my podcast. <laughs> like hyper modern way to have relationships with other human beings these days. But I'm honored that I got to podcast status out of let's have a coffee. <laughs> it's about Liam, but the motherfucker understands the hustle, man. He's always be hustling. <laughs> yeah, you look at it, you list. You're like, I could just hang out with you, but also I could make it my job. <laughs> I know. I'm so dedicated to this non-paying job. It's like <laughs> it's Monday or Tuesday. I'm like, well, who we got this weekend, guys? And so, um, yeah, no, thank you. It all worked out. And I obviously. Do want to get the coffee, but um, because I'm supposed to be leaving next week and taking the kids to Arizona, like I had just a laundry list of, yeah, of very sure. boring chores I had to do. No, it works uh, out in this my week. favor because I'm stoked to get now I get to talk to all of them, not just your ass. Exactly. I the real know. brains behind this operation <laughs> anyway. Uh, and well, so how much do you can you talk about what you're you're doing? Uh, one, I probably can't say very much about it at all because it's not it's not I, I you know, the status of it is I uh, I wonder what I could say. 
let me see what I can say because I can't say anything. But I maybe wanna... I could frame it for you that you're you're looking to do a more action in your career. I am that... no, no. I'll get more specific. Like I um I I had been there's a company called Highland Film Group that I'm mm -hmm. working. With. I'm going to just say that I'm working with them. Um, and I had been coming in uh to pitch on stuff that they are working on over there, right? They were like coming, I came in at one point to pitch as a writer on something. I came in another point on a, on a director gig for a project that, that they were developing. And I would come in with my takes on their projects. And, you know, if you've seen my movies, my concept, I'm a little off, I'm a little weird, right? Like I'm not, and, um, and so I was like, yeah, I read your script and like, it's dope. Here's how it would be super dope. And they would be like, that would be super dope, but I don't think we could do that with this property, you know, and like I had like a couple meetings like that until they were like, you know, we would like to work with you. Why don't you come to us when you have a pitch, when you have something you can do? And, um, you know, I hope I hope to come back on the show like in a year once the movie is like out, we can really talk about it. And then you'll be like, oh, yeah, that's the movie he was talking about. But um, amazing. Yeah, I had this idea for something and it it, it was really wrapped around the title. So I can't say the title yet. I can't say anything about it. But I was this is just like such fun Hollywood insight. I'm, I was so happy that this got to happen. I happened to be at like a brunch karaoke birthday party with uh, with the one of the people from that company. That the person I'm quite close to, the guy who kept on bringing him in, was it, you know, likes my work and stuff. And I was pouring him a Bloody Mary from a picture of Bloody Marys. And I went, like, yo, I actually have a pitch for you. I'm just going to give it to you right now. And like three people standing around, three other like Phil Bakers, all started mocking me. They were like, oh, he's doing the elevator. Oh, he's doing a pitch. And I was like, no, stay strong, Mortimer. You got this. And so I was pouring him a Bloody Mary and I was like, here's here's the movie I want to do. And I gave him like two minutes of it. And he was like, holy shit, I fucking love that. And he set up a meeting for me to meet his boss like two days later. And I pitched it to her and then they were like, we'll buy it. So they, which never happens to me, they sent me money to write the movie. And I, and I just turned in the first draft last week got notes turned in the second draft like i'm cooking with this thing and um and what I, I didn't even know foreign sales companies like gave people money to write that's like so uh yeah. th that's amazing and, probably, and now that i think about it the deal is so weird that i probably shouldn't even say anyway anyway congratulations that is awesome they just said yeah that sounds cool <laughs> do, go <Yeah>. do it <laughs> um <laughs> but uh, we can get into that someday uh and uh so but what what's different about this and you know man i gotta say i i'm already thankful that you refer to arch enemy as an action movie because to to me it was like i with that movie i didn't yet have the resources to really action action it up right it's kind of in the mode of an action movie and it has like a sequence or two that i'm super proud about right like there's a sequence Kind of in the middle that's this slow motion fight that to me i was like that's what i wanted to achieve with this movie but it's not like action 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 and um and with the new one while it still has kind of like the characters and the motions and the, the, the weird world and all the stuff that i like to do it is structured around action set pieces and like what you know how an action set piece can also be the emotional crux i think about it like a musical right and it's like with Arch Enemy, there were like some pieces that were action, but also it's a crime movie, it's a science fiction, it's characters, whatever. This movie is like, 
Then there's going to be the scene when they're in this fucking location and they're going to pick up all the fucking saws and hammers. And then there's going to be this scene where they're in this fucking location. You know what I mean? Like really thinking about like, what's the spine of an action movie? How do those things work? Amy, do you want a cameo with us? Do you want to, do you want to jump in? My, my girlfriend, Amy Nicholson, who has the podcast Unspooled, is, a, is, is about to go on her hike. Wait, 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 wait. I, I had no idea that Amy Nicholson was your girlfriend. Yes. We need, we, you don't have to be on camera. We just come closer and say hi. Come closer and say hi. Just, you don't, you can, don't have to be on camera. <laughs> Here, I'll cover the camera. Look, I'm turning off the camera. Camera's off. Just say hi. Good morning, gentlemen. Sorry, I'm very disheveled and headed to a hike. What was your favorite action movie of the past year? RRR. Of course. Hell yeah. It was, yeah, it was. Awesome. Okay, we'll get into that. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Amy. Thanks, Amy. Yeah, Amy is... Um, uh, we're, we're all big fans of Amy. Uh, yeah, oh, we, yeah, yeah. Amy, is, Amy is actually uh, one of the big inspirations for me even getting into podcasting. So, Oh my God, that's amazing. You see? You see? <laughs> people love what you do, man. They I'm do. Starts getting a workout. <laughs> <laughs> this is fucking crazy, man. Look, look, at, look at us. Look at us. Hobnobbing with the stars and shit over here. Look at us. What's up, baby? What's, what's going on, baby? What's up? Yo, her, cat. her cat's around here somewhere. I hope the cat can make a cameo because it's a fucking crazy cat. Where is he? Where is he? See, this, this is how it works. Like, you go, you go to brunch, you pull, you pull out readers, you, you get a pitch. You, you, uh, you, your friends call you, hey, we'll do podcasts. You're like, yeah, I'll be friends with you on the internet. And then you know you meet all the stars. This, this is how it works. It's, it's that easy. It's that simple. There's no, there's no magical bullshit to it. This random shit happening. That's life. This is, this is, the, this is the way it works. Yeah, and you got to make sure that that whatever the random shit is, you go. That was cool because if you start being like that was random and not what I planned for, that's when your life falls apart. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, well, well, yeah. So I know you. Oh, well, first of all, just formally, um, thank you for being on the show. Really appreciate you uh, your time coming on. Um, we decided to talk, to talk to you. And so, like, I know we, we want to keep limited to what you, you know, the what you're doing now. You know, it's a lot of um secrecy, or you know, it's uh, we don't get too deep into it. But normally what we do is um we kind of uh go through like the uh your life story in a way, or at least that applies to film, like how you started out in your career. Um, because a big thing that I appreciate about the show that what um what what Mike has done in the past with his with his guests in his very podcast and what Liam is doing now is that um we were able to do this uh inside baseball, as it were, of like the actual nuts and bolts of how these things get made, all of our favorite action movies. So yeah, so if you could like you know kind of like where you like kind of first started or like uh, you know, uh, where you think your first kind of big inroad yeah, was to film. Absolutely. And I, and I got to say, I think that kind of, this kind of thing is so, like, I love to be as, you can get as specific with me as you want about anything, because I didn't go to film school. And so <clears throat> I spent most of like the endless early part of my career, the early part, which was decades, uh, trying to even figure out like, what the fuck does the director do? How do you do this? How do you get a movie made? oh my god now you have to stand here in front of all these people what are you supposed to say to them like I, I i because i didn't have like i had to learn it in all these weird roundabout ways like i would get jobs whatever we'll talk about it so once i started you know especially with when i made daniel's not real and i felt very comfortable with that movie in the sense of like i really liked it you know i thought i'd left it all on the mat i just wanted to be like here's how i did it here's how i how can i be of service how can i help you know what i mean because I, I felt like coming up for me it was such a mystery yes no no and i and i thought your twitter threads on daniel isn't real are awesome and the very very kind of uh like you said you were, you shared the entire process uh on that film and um but let's go back to the first one 
Yeah, you absolutely. never directed before, but you hired a director to be an actor on set. I think that that took a lot oh, of balls. Um, Michael Polis. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> let me, let, I'll back it up a little bit before that. Cause uh, and, and, and just go like, you know, the, the beginning of up like whole life story in 30 seconds, but like, yeah. you know, I used to live in New York city. I was a musician there. I play, I would first, I was in a metal band playing guitar. Then I was an experimental musician. I had like an electric sitar and like weird boxes that would make noise, electric shocks and shit like that, right? And um, but at the same time, I wanted to be a filmmaker, and uh, I wound up getting a job at Nickelodeon, where you know because I had done some like edit stuff. I had learned I learned After Effects, so I could like animate design and shit like that. And I kind of got a job where I was able to, uh, like have them believe I had more skills than I had is the way that I would put it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but what that meant was they hired me on a Monday and said, okay, so Friday you got to turn in this like trailer for like an episode of Rugrats or whatever it was. And I had to like, I was literally, it was, you know, the office, the MTV office in Midtown Manhattan. I was sleeping under the desk. Like I was there at two in the morning reading books, like how to cut a promo for dummies and shit, right? Like trying to figure <laughs> it out. But by Friday, I delivered like a sick thing that I, I did all my own After Effects work and design and I worked and I had a 3D artist come in and do some shit. So by Friday, I had been through film school, <laughs> right? Like, and I got paid like pretty good daily rate to do that. So, so from that job, like it was a hard, like I was, I probably have never been more stressed out and angry in my life as I was when I had that job. Like I, you know, by, and I wound up staying there for, you know, probably a couple of years. And I would just, I, I got to a point where I was just like, just so, I mean, working in those corporate environments, man, like it's so fucked up and it just, it was not my personality, but at the same time, it was like, I was learning how to do all this shit. I did, I did a thing where they fired an entire floor of people. So all these like offices and shit were empty. So I was supposed to be working in this little cubicle with like doing final cut, but there was a corner office overlooking all of Times Square was empty. So I forwarded my phone line to that office and printed out a, 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 a name card and put it on the door. So it looked like I had this huge office and everybody just treated me like I was the boss. Like That's so fucking sick. Holy shit. My <laughs> boss came downstairs to come and have meetings in my office because my office was more dope than theirs. And, yeah. and I also, and, and this is the thing, free, like when you hate something, it can really give you a freedom because I was like, I want to get fired. I hate this job. It's destroying my mentality. So I would show up at work at 11 a.m. And the other designers and shit in my unit would be like, how come you get to come in so late, Adam? And I was like, because I don't care if they fire me. Because <laughs> I'm and the I'm boss. You see on my door? Just on the yeah, boss. Yeah. Yeah, I'm the boss. That's because I said I'm the boss. I mean, and I know, you know, it's like sort of flippant and sort of ridiculous and all this shit. But it's also like. There are life lessons there that I'm still trying to mine. You know what I mean? Of, of like, you just have to like take control of your own destiny one way or the other and believe in it and everyone else around you will believe it. And that goes for, I'm a director. Okay. Yep. You know? <laughs> oh, I mean, uh, in negotiations, like for your deals and stuff, like you have to actually make them believe you won't do the movie. And yeah. that's so hard because we obviously want to do the movie more than anything. And we probably do it for free, but they can't know that. So you have yeah. to be an yeah. asshole. And it's like, yeah, it's, it's tough. And I think it, it's taken so much practice for me to not be a nervous wreck about shit. You know, like I opened up saying, oh, I'm pouring guy, bloody Mary's and picture of a movie. I saw it. And, and, and that makes me sound like such a confident motherfucker, but it's like, 
dude, back in the day when I first would get like, have my first like general meetings with some producer or something, I would have to like go into the bathroom and take like seven shits before it was time to have the meeting because I was so fucking nervous about just talking to some other douchebag about I want to make a move. You know what I mean? And now zero shits. And that's like the definition of zero shits given. Right. But like it was really like a <laughs> reality for me. <laughs> so. All right. So I'm working at Nickelodeon and I start started to do music videos, which was real cool. Um, that was a thing I'd always wanted to do. And like because I came in this world of of experimental music and stuff, a, a, a group of people that I was friends with had a band and they got like a couple. They got like two or three thousand dollars to make a music video. So I did that. <clears throat> and it was, you know, and the music sounded like like that was the music. And I did this super experimental thing that had like a purple sequined eggplant that was this mystical object and all this shit. Can you say what the band was? Or yeah, they're called the No Neck Blues Band. And uh, so they they were a New York band back in the day, like real experimental, you know. But kind of, but like, but very, but like revered, you know, like like yeah, yeah. the band Sonic Youth would support, you know, do stuff with them and shit like that. Like they were, you know, um, but really experimental, real arch. And and an interesting thing I noticed was that like working at Nickelodeon by day, hanging out with like experimental musicians and art gallery shit at night. There was no, in New York, there's no interpenetration of that shit whatsoever. Like if I would tell, you know, oh, I'm at this art gallery. This, oh, I work at Nickelodeon. I'm trying to do like some mainstream, you know, movie shit. They'd be like, you know, and then the same with the other way. I'd be like, hey, like Nickelodeon friends, I work with this, these fucking weirdos. And they'd be like, you're weird. <laughs> Which is the thing, and, you know, and I, I don't want to skip to it. When I got to LA and I came to LA soon after making that, video and when i got here the head of um music videos at warner brothers records this guy named devin sarno who is one of these kind of people you credit for like kicking off a career he was like i loved your completely insane nonsense music video that was total avant-garde i want to bring you on to do music videos for like pop punk band that we had they had this band called against me and um and that to me really clicked like why i love la more than new york as far as the industry goes because in LA, and I wonder, you know, Liam, if you have this sort of understanding about it too, is like their job is to just find people like that. You know what I mean? He was like, okay, you, I know this is avant-garde and crazy, but you executed it at a high level. You executed your vision. So if we give you this other like pop thing to do, we assume you'll execute that also at a high level. And in New York, it was like, there was a conceptual disconnection, but in Los Angeles, they're like, no, you're a filmmaker. So we've got some opportunities for you. And, and so then I had a career for like a kind of a short lived career doing music videos, which was sick. And again, <clears throat> was my film school because that first video was like me with a fucking Panasonic fucking camera, just running around in New York, like, oh, we're here, we're oh, we're. And then suddenly it's like, now you need a crew and a production designer. What's a production designer do? What's a, you know, like, how do I tell the cinematographer how to do this shit when I was doing it all myself? So I had to, learn that and that's what you know music videos kind of got me to it well and you're, you're also doing this for against me you're not doing this for like some like no-name band right yeah like, it was cool it was a big it was a big deal for me you know and i got to do a couple videos for, for that band specifically and um you know and some other neat stuff i wound up uh they introduced me to uh, a polish woman um named natalia lesh and i wound up you know she had huge budgets i did like a really high concept shot on 35 millimeter film with wolves attacking people and like fascist futuristic ballet dancers and all, you know, like I got to do some cool shit. 
Um, but that career like tanked out very quickly for, it was like, I don't know. <laughs> like, but it was, and, and every step of my career, it's always like, well, I guess I'm done now. Maybe I'll go become a monk. Like, I, you know. <laughs> I was going to say about your, your, I never worked in New York, um, but, you know, I went to school in Boston. I grew up in, in the East Coast. Uh, for me, it was just, I, I, I did feel like it was more closed, like opportunities wise. And, and But I, maybe that was just my own perception of myself and I needed to go to a new city to kind of remake myself in a weird way. So well, I don't I think know. It's true, man. I'm from the East yeah. Coast and I am telling you <laughs> that it is something, you know, like I wanted to be, you know, I it's like I wanted to be a New York independent filmmaker. I wanted to be like Jim Jarmusch, you know what I mean? But I was like, they don't seem to be looking for the next Jim Jarmusch out of my corner. Like, I just have no idea how to do, I want that, but I'm not getting it. So I'll go to LA and make, you know, do some other shit. Yeah, but, you know, it's not. I don't think it was just you. I think there is something about that. I, I grew up in Cambridge, Massachusetts, man. Like I'm. Oh, yeah. You know, I moved to New York, and so it's like, you know, there is something I noticed <clears throat> coming back to Boston after being in LA for so time. When you when you walk around and look at people in Boston, everybody looks like they're in pain. Like everybody has just a little bit of like pain and agony going on. I don't, even if when it's the summertime and yeah, and they revamp the you know the harbor or whatever but it's still there's just a little bit of pain and agony whereas whereas you come to LA and everybody is inexplicably happy and I prefer that man I you know like that's not fake that's like it's not fake that's life no right? it's it's a baseline the first time I ever visited LA and I walked into a coffee shop and the girl working there was like hi how how's it going I was like well nobody's ever talked to me like that before they're like what the fuck you want you want a fucking latte motherfucker why you're I like, mean, uh, like I mean, massachusetts is the you think you're better than me like everyone <laughs> looks at you and like you think you're better than me it's like you just get it from everybody and uh, yeah it, it's it kind of a heavy. quick tangent here because like i, I kind of noticed this. I, I have some friends who are um like for example i have a friend uh she's a writer uh for like a, a cop show in new, york, in new york now but she moved to la for the new york cop show kind of weird uh but like you know and, and she was kind of saying and several of friends that I've met since uh, I came back uh, from the army, uh, they kind of mentioned the similar thing where they were doing stuff industry wise in New York, but it was either not, not that it wasn't going anywhere, but like uh, they, like you said, it's a pretty siloed uh, way of doing things. So they move out there and they're like, wow, I feel this is a whole new energy, whatever. And so it's like, I, 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 I appreciate their insight about that, but I always, just, I'm always, I don't know, maybe somewhere between jealousy and like, um, I don't know, like, uh, Contempt because, like, for me, I, I was born here, I was born in Brooklyn, Brooklyn, Queens, and like, in my and then so, like, oh, just a background, you know, I was in the army, army for over like 12 years, so you know, uh, Iraq, Afghanistan, all that kind of stuff. So, for me, it's like growing up here, like, prepare me for shit like that, you know, it's kind of fucked up to say that growing up in, in Brooklyn, prepare me for a war zone, but it did. So, now that I'm back, and like, uh, you know, now I'm, I'm kind of, I guess, I'm technically in the corporate world now, too, like, I'm doing like computer security stuff. And, and it's similar thing like you say that you got like kind of fake fake what you know because I don't know shit about computers honestly but I just kind of like kind of like to figure it out on my own school wise but like and so for me is like um it feels like uh this lifelong crucible and so which is like on one <laughs> hand is like I I can I can survive anywhere but on the other hand it's like you know this shit sucks it hurts so bad but like <laughs> so I, I I understand why people don't want to hurt because obviously but it's like you know it's like. Just, just stick it out. Just stick, stick it out another year. But like, you know, that's how I was in my head. But like, no, that's, that's not realistic. Like, to, in order to like to thrive and grow, you gotta like get yourself out of a negative situation. So like, you know, I, I completely understand people coming from like, you know, like they, 
they get that, they plant a new energy, they run with it. And, you know, it helps them out, helps their career, helps their livelihood, helps their well-being. So, you know, but props to you for, like, you know, finding that for yourself, you know, even though I'm stuck here, I'm stuck here in the dungeon. It's got to be both, man. It's got to be, like, I agree. You need that crucible thing. I mean, I always felt like that about, you know, when I reflect on my time in New York, because I was, and I was all over, you know, I was way Lower East Side. I was up in Harlem. Like, I, I always tried to stick to Manhattan. When, when, when the trend of people, like, moving to, like, Brooklyn, brunch spot type shit, Brooklyn, I was always like, I don't know, man. I Like, Last exit to Brooklyn, like I felt like Brooklyn's a place you're supposed to leave, not a, a place you're supposed to go to and have brunch. But like, but just like the 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 hustle of living, I guess the, you know I've always thought about it like New York was uh was about inspiration. Like I was taking shit in, I was learning so much about the world, like so much, like you know just total like from all sides, like the highest level of like culture and like fucking art galleries and and all this shit. And like I actually I went to the there's a a five percent nation temple on 126th street that i would yeah. go to because i was like i want to learn arabic and I, I got the 120 questions and they were also like totally accepting of me you know like I, it wasn't like they like oh they're gonna kidnap me no they fucking they were like i was like here's 10 bucks give me the cassette i'll listen to the 120 questions i'm into all that shit and um like there was just so much non-stop inspiration for me in new york and so then la was like now it's about the output now it's like i've had these life experiences been through like you say a crucible like it really felt like that like it's just hard to it's hard to survive there it's easy to survive here i moved to a place i've got a fig tree a fucking lemon tree a backyard you know what i mean like i had concrete in new york i had concrete that you had to turn into some shit so <laughs> i feel you <laughs> um what the fuck was i so anyway so yeah so i made some music videos for a while and then i was like desperate to um desperate to make a movie somehow somehow make a movie and at the time it was like I was um you know writing things and really always really struggling you know and you can see it from now what I've described as my background like this pull between like am I a weird like avant-garde artist you know fucking David Lynch kind of person or am I you know I just want to make movies about like guys high kicking aliens which you know sick shit to do right so <clears throat> and I was always torn between those two things and so I'm writing I'm trying to figure that out and a lot of times I started being like, I need to base something on a book because if you have an intellectual property, they'll make the movie. So every time I would read a book, I'd go to the, the, the books or Skylight Books in Los Feliz, read a book, email the author, can I, have the, can I have the rights to your book? And like a lot of times they'd say yes. And so I did that. I, I, there was a, 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 a book called Shotgun Opera that's like a crime action thriller kind of you know pulp novel. And I uh, got in touch with that author and I wrote just on spec, like I, you know, I, I wrote an adaptation of that book and tried to get that, you know, I was trying to just get shit made however I could. <clears throat> and I was at a, a, a birthday party at one point and I met a dude and he told me he'd just moved to LA and he'd written a novel and I got the novel, like I liked the dude, the next day I bought that novel and read it. It was called In This Way I Was Saved. Um, and I called him up on Monday and I was like, I want to turn this into a movie. And he was like, why don't we write it together? Because I'm a writer and I want to become a screenwriter. And um, and that so, you know, Tarantino at forward that became Daniel's real. That's that's but but this was seven years before that movie got made. Was when it, when I met. It took seven years to make that movie. So, you know, I, we and and he was cool because he was like he went to 
Princeton. He went to the new school for writing. It was like very fancy. He was from the Upper West Side of Manhattan. But also when I would go to his house, he would be wearing vintage like Slayer and Iron Maiden t-shirts. So we really had this click of like highfalutin and Slayer. Like that's a real important kind of like fusion. Right. And he had that same fusion. So we wrote this movie. And, uh, and by the time we were done writing it, I was like, Ryan, like, I have to be honest with you. This movie is awesome. There's no way I'm going to be able to get the financing for this as a first feature. This has like demons and crazy shit. And like, I, how am I possibly going to get this money? Let's write another movie. Let's write a super low budget movie so that we can make the movie, right? Like this theory of you got to make a movie to make a movie, <clears throat> which seems so perverse and sick but it's really how it works no it's smart it works for a lot of it's not for liam liam they were like here's a franchise take take control but you know for the rest of us you got to make a movie to make a movie no i I mean (laughs) skyline was was a movie to make a movie it was like let's do this thing in one location and 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 then we'll we'll build from here i didn't know it was going to be 12 years of my life but (laughs) (laughs) yeah you got to make the movie to keep on making bad movie right yes exactly (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so so then so i was like well let's do our thing and i you know what i saw as our thing at the time was like you know sort of an emotional realism in a genre space let's do that to a slasher movie and that's where we got the idea of some kind of hate came from and um and so we wrote that and that even and i was like we'll make this movie for you know i think at the time the the price of like I can't remember if it was a quarter of 250,000 or 500,000. There was this number that people kept saying at the time, you can make a movie for this much. It was, and I was like, Oh shit. When I was growing up, everybody got to make their first movie for a million and now we're making it for $200,000. Okay. I guess that's the economy. Um, so we wrote that and even, and then that took two years to make, but we did make it. And, um, and we got all involved in so much bullshit. Like we had a financer who's, who was going to put up $2 million supposedly and, we went to Canada to make this movie. We were in fucking Vancouver for months, casting it, location scouting, borrowing money from a different investor, like to support the pre-pre-production of this movie. And then like, no, I'm fucking with you. I'm not giving you the money. And we had to like drive back from Vancouver in debt, no movie, and like put the pieces back together and and then eventually make that movie. And, and that was uh what year was that so that was like 2013 i think okay when we, when we were when we we're working on making that movie because i think it came out in 2015 so i think we're working on it 2013 shot it 2014 and then it and 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 that movie you know and i say this to to aspiring newer filmmakers all the time is like is like I think that movie is okay, you know, and I know, you know, some of the response I got it, like, it really mattered to some people. I think the way that it approached emotion and it, it approached the uh, the concept of like bullying and revenge, like I know it really spoke to some people and there was a lot of motivation that I had, you know, I was really approaching that movie, but I didn't know how to make a movie and I was learning how to make a movie on set and like, you know, my DP was a guy who'd gone to AFI. Actually, that was the same DP as you guys are probably a fan of uh, uh, Brawl and Soul Block 99, right? Like that Benji Bakshi, he shot that movie. He, he shot all of them. Um, he shot Bone Tomahawk. He, sh- he shot all those uh, all those Craig Zoller movies. So he was sort of like, hey, man, like, here's you should block your things more like this instead of, you know, it was like, get your actors up wiggling around, you know, because it was also, it was my first movie. All of the actors in the movie were super young. And he'd be like, you know, you can have them walk from a two shot into your close up. 
And then we save a setup. And I was like, holy shit, that's the most genius thing I've ever heard Because I would come in the day being like, here's 35 shots I want to get just to tell a story about a guy walking from one side of the room to the other. And they'd be like, wait, I've got time for two of those. And um, yeah, so to, to you, oh, wait, let me finish that thought. And then, uh, so, but, so I, it wasn't a slam dunk of a movie. And what, you know, at a certain point in the edit, I was kind of like, am I a bad filmmaker? Like, is my career over? Like, did it, you know, I spent all this time trying to get this opportunity and now it's like, fuck. And then we did not get into a lot of festivals, which really disappointed. Like we, 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 you know, I had a real hope and dream that we were going to play a fantastic fest and we didn't get into fantastic fest. And I was really like, holy shit, this movie is going to come out straight to dog shit, you know, and nobody's going to see it. And then we got into this festival called the, at the time it was called the Stanley Film Festival that was in Colorado. And, um, and what was cool was, so the whole time we were trying to make some kind of hate, I was, had contact info for one of the people at Spectre Vision, Elijah Wood's company. And I was like emailing all the time being like, your sensibility, my sensibility, we are like, the same we're doing the same thing like emotional artistic horror like let's go and they never got back to me so i made the movie without them but then my <laughs> first day at the stanley film festival i saw that guy josh waller one of the partners of the company i saw him eating breakfast because they had a movie there too called cooties that was about like rabid kids right right i remember um, that. that like lee winnell was in and elijah was in it and um and so i walked up to him and i was like hey man like it's nice to meet you i got a movie here i hope you'll see it i have been emailing you <laughs> And yeah. he had his laptop right there at breakfast. And he was like, oh, yeah, I see all the emails from you. <laughs> you know, Sorry, I've been busy. And it's and you just got to be like, it's totally cool. Like, of course, it's cool. Like, whatever. You can't respond to everybody. But he saw the movie and he liked it. And he had Elijah and Dan and, you know, all, all his partners in Spectre Vision watch it. And that led to then I showed them the Daniels at Real Script and they wanted to make the movie. So it, so the whole idea of make a movie to make a movie. And we were very specific, me and Brian, we were like, we're trying to make Daniel, but we'll make this other movie. Like it did work. Yeah. Just that it took seven years. <laughs> no. And it, and, and it was also when I, when, you know, I, I did, I know you, you've been uh, mentoring and helping young filmmakers and, and female filmmakers with a friend of the show, Jordan Cruciola. Right. I, I did one of those last year with uh, some film students and they're all oh, so many questions about film festivals. And they were like, how you know how do I submit what do you do and I was like only submit to ones you're going to go to because that is where you're going to make these connections like you blast these things off into the ether if, if especially if you're a starting filmmaker with a limited budget because it's really expensive to submit like me and my I produced a wife uh produced a wife I produced a short that my wife produced a short that my wife directed <laughs> and we sent it out to a bunch of festivals and I was like god damn this bill you know it, it was it's it's a lot of money so just again like I feel like already from the the way this podcast is going this is like a great uh film school episode and I would say for anyone listening like definitely focus your funds and you're you'd rather get into one and then actually be able to travel to that festival and try to make connections in person because it does lead to things down the line. Yeah. And, 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 and I would also say like, there was a really specific trajectory of how the film festival thing worked to me. And, and it, so I, we want to talk about that for a second, because you asked about Michael Polish. So that's what I do want to answer that. Cause you, cause, cause you asked. Well, I, cause I would not have the balls as my, as a first timer to be like, I want to hire another director to be on set and watch me flounder and flop spice. sweat. Yeah. <laughs> so no, For me, I don't know why I felt the opposite. I was like, it'll be helpful. Like if I have a 
question I can ask them, you know, whatever, whatever. Like I, I didn't feel like I had to pretend to be a director, you know what I mean? I, I and um and I just clicked with him. He was a cool dude. Uh, and when I I remember I showed him the lenses we were using because we bought um, vintage anamorphic Kawa lenses from the seventies, like basically the same lenses that they used to shoot. Uh, the first Halloween, John Carpenter's Halloween, right? It's basically those same lenses. They're very light Japanese uh, anamorphic lenses, and we did we use some of them in Beyond Skyline. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, because they fit they fit on those smaller rigs, you know, like uh, oh. th those Mopi type rigs. Yeah. They're not as huge as the Hawks. Right, right, right. And the, and these are you know these these are like fifty year old lenses. So because I'm always afraid of like a, an overly clean digital look, like you know yeah. we shot that movie on red camera, which is not my preference and um it, you know so i just want everything to be as dirty and distorted and fucked up as possible but um i remember showing michael polish where i'm shooting it on these lenses and it was like oh okay you know what you're doing like it was just that like he just had this weird it wasn't and i was like okay i do know what i'm doing you know <laughs> but uh but the other secret sauce ingredient was that i put noah segan in the movie Noah Segan, um, you know, you guys know, like, and he just has a, a movie that he just wrote and directed and stars in that comes out this week called Blood Relatives. Shout out to that. I recommend it. Um, but, you know, he had been kind of like, aside from being in in, in Brick and, and Looper and stuff like that, he's in all of Ryan Johnson's movies, but he's was just in all of these, uh, all of these, you know, indie movies, indie horror, stuff, stuff like that. Like, he just kind of to me, he was like the most famous person who was in the movie. Who was it? You know, like he was like this. You know, oh, I have a, a good work with Noah Segan, and he was a great actor, and I felt very comfortable working with him. Also, um, what was the? He was in an action movie called Redeemer. Yeah, I was actually just going to interrupt you and say for people, our audience. Um, I mean, I, they all know who Noah Segan is, but yeah, yeah. if you haven't seen it, uh, Marco Zoror is one of the patron saints of this podcast. He's in an amazing movie called Redeemer, directed by his his longtime director, Ernesto Diaz Espinosa. And Noah is doing a thing in that movie. And it is a thing that I love. He is such a greasy, sweaty. He plays like this this American like drug dealer that's trying to come into uh, Chile to like, uh, you know, open up. And he's so sweaty and greasy and gross in it and and just twitchy. It, it's a brilliant performance. Um I, I cannot sing the praises of Redeemer highly enough. So I'm glad you brought that up, Adam, because yes, I fucking love Redeemer. Redeemer, yeah. Redeemer is absolutely A4E podcast approved. That is an A4E podcast ass movie. <laughs> yeah, and he, he's an awesome dude. And he brings that like quality of like, you know, humor and greasiness to, you know, <laughs> he's just, he's awesome. He was awesome to have on my side. And what wound up happening was he was a, juror that you while we were working on the movie still in edit he was a juror at fantasia fest in 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 montreal and so he was able to get us invited to show part of some kind of hate as a work in progress in this like program and that was the first time i'd ever been to a film festival i skipped comic-con that year for the first time in like decades in order to go to a film festival instead and i remember being like oh shit fuck comic-con like i'm in a film festivals now like this is the world this is the life and 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 we showed this stuff and we were on the same in the same program as fucking uh, uh justin benson and aaron moorhead who had just were working on spring and now those guys are are good friends of mine but at the time i was like who are these geniuses and um 
and we met Sam Zimmerman, who was a writer for Fangoria magazine at the time. Now he's uh, he runs uh, curation for Shutter, and he so he liked our movie, and he started talking. To, you know, so it was like this sort of building this network of connection that led us to showing it at at, at the film festival at Stanley. And once we got into that one festival, then all the other guys wanted, it, and we wound up bringing the movie back to Fantasia, and we played here. You know, we played at Fright Fest in in the UK and all this stuff. So that was like, you know, because. Uh, I'm trying to contrast this against that feeling of like sending it out, like Liam, like you're saying, like a black hole into the, these just like film festivals, like whatever, paying $35 an entrance fee or whatever. And like, you know, I don't feel like it's, it's, I'm not saying like we cheated by like knowing people, but it's like you, you structure your strategy around, you know, like there was a reason I cast Noah. He's the best actor in the, in the cast because he's the most seasoned. And also he has, meaning to people that are going to come out and see a, a low but you know he makes he makes our i was always trying to express especially when we were working in vancouver people didn't understand this they were treating it like a low budget horror movie and i was like no it's an indie horror movie there's a right difference. you know what i mean now people say elevated and we can all debate what the dumb word that is but like you well, know, wait, didn't like, didn't you coin a phrase? I have to ask you about this. I did. I did coin a phrase. I coined a phrase and everybody got so fucking mad at me. People got mad about this. You remember? You remember I remember. I, so I remember. Weird, dude. Yeah. It, it was it was like it was death wave. You death you wave. coined the phrase of I coined death the wave. Phrase death wave, which is, sounds so much fucking more badass than elevated. I don't know why anybody <laughs> got mad at me. Oh, do you want to make elevated horror? You want to make fucking death wave? What is your problem? Why are you mad at me about this? Sounds like a fucking villain. Are you fucked up? Sounds like a guy in a mask. It's fucking cool. Fuck. But yeah, so I um I, I'm just so glad that that organically came up because I wanted to ask you about uh, death wave. So that's great. <laughs> yeah, people have not asked me about that in a, in a while. It's I mean it's and I really feel like I've had the last laugh about it, but uh, because, I mean, you really have. It, it, yeah. it, it's like eight eight twenty four. Just fucking like took well, that, put it in a bag. Yeah. I so what happened was, you know, because when I was doing this, you know, when I was doing my thing as like music videos and stuff like that, I I didn't really know other directors. You know, I knew a couple other people. I was really trying to can I make friends with some other people who do music videos and things like that. And like, it's not like I had this community, you know, I came to LA because I read that fucking book, uh, Easy Riders and Raging Bulls, where it's like Peter Bogdanovich is driving in one car and Martin Scorsese is driving in another car down the middle of Sunset Boulevard, just screaming, reading reviews at each other of like, hey, Pauline Kael said, I'm the greatest fucking thing. You know, I read that book and I was like, I want to live that lifestyle. And I got here and I didn't know any other filmmakers. But during the course of the edit of Some Kind of Hate, uh my editor josh ethier who is like an awesome editor producer one of the best in the biz uh yeah super cool and a guy that i uh maybe we'll get to this but i did fight him at the fantastic fest debates you uh, actually fought him because he's a very large human he's he not I, a small I, man he is I, not I trained at a south central boxing gym for four months <laughs> so that i could fight him and that, and that and that got me into boxing and now i love but now i teach a boxing class in my backyard but like yeah it was all about like how am i gonna not get killed by this man who if your listeners don't know is about six foot five 310 pounds looks like a fucking biker you know and had won every other he'd fought two or three times in fantastic best before and won by knockdown every fucking time and, and so you did, was it a split decision what was it no did i won i won oh, oh I wow won. 
I couldn't oh, wow. move my jaw for a month afterwards, but I fucking won. That's amazing. See, this, is what, this is what's up about. Wait, sorry, man. I, I, I be joking sometimes, but I'm not joking. I'm serious. Directors got to fight each other for dominance. Like, you got to, like, the film industry. Oh, here. I'm a, I'm a, um, am was not really a film journalist, too, film critic. You know, I've been out in, out in the streets going for, for festivals on my own money because I'm cool like that. And all the time, people be talking shit online, whatever. But you see them to their face, they don't say nothing. They're like, hey, hey, what's going on? How you doing? No, no, no. You was talking shit. I'll bring it. <laughs> this is what has to happen continually for this industry to thrive and grow. You gotta just, you gotta knuckle up. You know, yeah. take the hits and prove yourself. No, no, not prove yourself. Just like prove that you you get it down for for this life. And so yeah. I, I commend you on on your on your victorious battle, your conquest <laughs> against the insurmountable odds. I'm, look, every time I'm I'm serious, people think I'm joking. I'm fucking dead serious. Like this is like a, this is like a very like uh, inspirational thing. To, like put yourself out there. Not like not just with your art, but like your actual whole self mm-hmm. to, defend, to defend your art and your being. You do that shit, people. You know that that speaks volumes. So yeah, props to you for that shit. <laughs> yeah, man. It's like we got to combine like online shit talking with you know you watch a movie like Ipman. And it's just like one guy after the other showing up at his school being like, I want to fight you. And my style is better than your style. Like, okay, if your fucking style is so much better than my style and you think it's wrong that I invented the term death wave, let's throw it the fuck down. Where's your style now, motherfucker? Because I got an uppercut that'll fucking cut through steel. Yeah, we do need to talk really quick. Two things. One, uh, fucking the real soups, uh, that fucking Matt Ramos kid after what has come out about him last week. He's on Vice's list. Like, if I fucking see him, dude, it's fucking on. I am throwing fucking hands on that kid. Uh, I will absolutely, I will bust out my <laughs> and fucking, like, yeah. Um, Just for context, uh, it's like that this guy, is, I mean, I, it's funny because he's got like a million followers, but I didn't know who the fuck he was. You know, it's just the, the, the way it goes in, in Twitter. But he, he's he's like a superhero fucking fanboy who, who's ma- made this famous. Like, set him up, Mike, just just to, yeah, to so make that joke. Basically, is he's 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 the he's the worst of film journalism. Like he's. Yeah. When, because he's he's total access insider he sucks the dick of marvel he sucks the dick of dc and it turns out that he uh and i i can't remember unfortunately i'm trying because i wasn't no no but when he sees other people succeeding he'll take a screenshot of it and send it to his manager and say i'm gonna fucking kill someone and i just was laughing so hard at that screen grab ruined his manager's career because his manager was like dude you should chill the fuck out and and so yeah like it's hands and like and a uh, friend, a good friend of the show, Aaron Vargas, I know has been like talking for years about how much this guy sucks. And and I really want nothing more than Aaron to run into this guy on the street because uh, Aaron, Aaron will actually fucking go hands on this guy. So. But, but Adam, imagine like you just you, you see someone else's project announcement. And you take a screenshot of it. You send it to your reps and say, I'm going to fucking kill someone. I mean, yeah, that's it's 100 percent OK to have those thoughts. <laughs> of we have those thoughts. I have those thoughts all the time. But you don't have those thoughts. Then you go, oh, thoughts are the problem, not the motive. You know what I mean? Like, the- <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I literally think on a daily basis, I'm going to kill Liam. But it's not like I put that out in the world. <laughs> but I, I, I never, ever have texted anybody. I'm going to fucking kill someone. And it made me so laugh, laugh to just see it like typed out like that. I don't know. <laughs> I was like, it's such an internal thought. I was like, oh, you, you just you just typed it out. Because you know what happens when that guy happens to get fucking murdered over a parking spot? You're the first person the FBI is going to come to, motherfucker. <laughs> the other part of it is 
that people need to know is just Adam is so dedicated to being on A4E that he is wearing a muscle shirt right now and he is showing off the guns. He is he has got the official A4E uniform on. And uh, and so I want people to know that that he is he is one of us. Absolutely. one. I want, I want to talk about that a little bit because um, like I really hate sleeves these days. Like they just fucking like and I you know, like I'm wearing this is like a Chunking Express shirt that was like <laughs> super hard you know they made it i actually brought a stuff i'm so glad you organically brought this up because i have all these sick fucking like this video drum shirt it was made in fucking indonesia oh shit like 26 of them is the second i got this i cut the oh, wait yeah off. we gotta hold it up oh, you want to see it again oh, we, we gotta get a screenshot for that one yeah the, yeah later on we edit this like that's yeah, yeah. Dope. Yo, yep i got it we got it this guy <laughs> you know on, on instagram he's uh creep illusion he makes all these sick shirts he did this one too i he's he did this possession system, but like my favorite horror movie of all time. I finally got this. Oh, but the second they arrived to me from Indonesia, I cut the fucking sleeves off. Right? Snip them right off. And I then, love but, it. But I actually, you know, I want to ask you, Liam, because I know you're, for some reason, you're wearing sleeves today. I don't know why. It's a little chilly in my house. It's uh, it's yeah. like the first time. Uh, but yeah, this is and it was my Brand X stunt shirt from, uh, from, from the, 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 the that's uh, the, the guys who have done all the stunts of some way in in, in the last two skylines, yeah. So I, I like I I like not wearing sleeves because I, I don't know, you know, I have like kind of a punk rock scumbag vibe in me a little bit, right? So I just want to wear sleeveless shirts and like, but I've been, you know, the past year or two because I started like a free boxing clinic in my backyard, right, where I'm teaching all these other filmmakers how to box because I needed more boxing partners. So now I just twice a week, people show up in my backyard and we box. That's awesome. And, um, yeah. and so I've been so consistently working out that I am getting kind of like in the best shape I've ever been in my life, right? But everywhere I go now, I'm always wearing sleeveless shirts and people comment on it, you know, like, yeah. you know, the, 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 like gun show, you brought it. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, fuck, like, can I actually not where is this like to like you know what i mean like is this, yeah it's i'm it's, not it's, trying it's, to be like a once you notice it weightlifter but but, they, but it's I, I have a whole thing on this because it's so it's so sexist like women never wear sleeves ever and no one thinks twice about it it's just totally fine but like if a man shows up without sleeves everyone's like look at this asshole it's like right. back to the well, east coast well, thing well, like, I, went well, to see, I went to see a violent night a couple weeks ago right at the, at the era theater and like the writer Josh Miller came up. He was like, "Hey, gun show!" And then like Chris <laughs> comes by, and, like he goes, "Hey, uh, you know whatever." Like every like I'm like, "Oh my god!" Like no, I, just, I don't like it. It's they're too tight on my arms. I'm sorry that I'm in good shape. Fuck! Like I'll stop working out. I'll stop lifting so I can wear sleeveless. You know. But I'm saying all that. That's all bullshit. Look at how fucking strong I am. Yeah, looking yeah. good. Yeah. Looking yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So it's like whatever. What are you gonna do? Oh, but uh, we do want to point like. In all seriousness, we part of our ethos, I guess you could say, is we do want to promote um, positive masculinity. You could say on our show, and oh. so like you know what Liam is saying is kind of tr it's true. It's like uh, the, you know the thing like, like body shaming, like, like being a body conscious. It's like you know like uh, you, we're not out here like doing you know curls and fucking deadlifts just to be, be you know meatheads. So maybe maybe Liam is I don't know, but uh, like you know like. Yeah, well, well like, no, I, I'm training for the for the next movie. That's what yeah, I, I yeah. tell my wife. It's like it's well, part. I actually do think, uh, you know, well, I'll let you finish your advice. But I'm saying I think training in that and making action films like it's a natural thing that makes sense to me. I feel like 
you're working with a bunch of people that are in peak physical condition. And it's like, I don't know. It's like, it helps with the mindset. It helps writing the characters. It, it's, it's part of it. Yeah. And I was going to say like, you know, just like just from any standpoint, just the, the health and mental health aspects of physical fitness or just, just activity in general. Not even fitness. You, 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 you don't got to like fight niggas in your, in your backyard every two weeks. You know, like you just like walk, <laughs> walk, take a walk. You're like, oh, it's like, that's a very important thing that people take for granted. You know, it's just, it's just be moving nerds. You're like, well, you, you sit in a, theater or on your Netflix all day and you kind of and you wonder why you're depressed. Go outside, motherfucker. But like you know that's, that's like seriously like part of it. But also as you were saying like like there's a this communal aspect. Like it's kind of interesting you say that about the yeah this the first of all fight club because uh like a, in a similar sense um just well it's kind of going a far afield here but like uh when other veterans came back from their service and you know they were like a lot of guys you know homeless or drug addiction and stuff like that. And so like uh there's a story there's stories about this in the news like guess uh other online locations where like they would start um or start clubs jujitsu and all that kind of stuff and just the actual fact of having that community do the physical activity activity together with that enhanced and bolstered their mental health to go see get jobs and you know become like get, get clean like it's a very important thing that people we, we take for granted you know because like we're, again we're all like fucking movie nerds like just gotta sit around like you know they can sit up to be trying to be all philosophical but no you gotta go outside too you gotta like you gotta move around you know it's very important thing that, that i think will help like your, like you said, your creative process, your thought process, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a part of this whole kind of well-rounded thing of being. Yeah. Everyone makes fun of The Rock's social media and they should because it's very funny. But like <laughs> his his whole thing about like anchoring his day around it, I it, it, I definitely agree with that. It's like I, I know if I can get that thing done that like everything else could flow out of it. And, uh, and so, yeah, I, I usually, you know, I get up at five in the morning and I usually lift then. So that it's just out of the way, and 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 I and I'm like my brain is in such better shape for the rest of the day. I know some people would be like, "Oh, I'm mentally depleted from from working out," uh, but not me. It's the opposite. If if I don't work out that day, I'm like, there's just a too much uh, too much anxiety and, and and negative energy. So I I, I really yeah can't recommend it enough, especially uh, if you're in a creative job. No, it's all about the, it's all about managing anxiety because that's, you know, what I discovered is the key to being a director is to, is to diminish anxiety. Like you are, you are on set, you're watching actors. You're going to like, you know, when you're on set, you're making your movie, like you're going to have this voice constantly going, Oh, I fucked up. This is fucked. It's not working out. It sucks. I suck. Everything sucks. And like that voice is, is incorrect. That voice is anxiety. But you also have to hear a voice that says, well, this shot isn't working, I need to fix it. Oh, his performance was over the top, I gotta fix it. And you have to be able to differentiate the anxiety voice from the artistic voice that is also giving you positive, negative feedback, right? And so it's like, that's why I first started taking boxing. You know, I was telling the story about trying to get some kind of hate made and how fucked up that, that's why I started boxing. I was like, I just need to punch. But it's like, I do transcendental <laughs> meditation, I do boxing, I'm on Lexapro, I go to therapy, I listen to Bhagavad Gita every night when I'm falling asleep. Like, and all of this is just to get to like this base level of managing anxiety so that I can make decisions that are not delusional. You know what I mean? And it takes all of that in addition to how much I prepare for a movie and how much I've thought through, you know, why I want it to be what it is and, and all these kind of, like, you need that. You're 100% right, man. You can't just like sit inside and stare at movies. You have to find a way to live inside your body. And that's the thing, you know, and, and what, one of the things that has really come up a lot in the, in the boxing group I'm in, and also Liam, you're totally right. Cause that found in the script that I just read the action movie, so much of it has to do with like 
training and what it is to learn how to fight and shit like that. Like it's not a boxing movie, but like just that that vibe of like oh, I've been spending two years teaching other people how to fight. That's going to wind up in the script, right? Right. And the thing that I discovered about boxing that is so amazing is that we are and everybody in the group is like an artist, you know, kind of filmmaker, whatever. And by the way, and, and half of them are women. So so you bring up this thing about, you know, positive masculinity. Like I'm all about the positive masculinity. It's like, you know, I invited some of the women from my filmmaker mentorship group, come and learn how to box too, because this is going to be part, you know, part of the thing. But it's like, we're so used to thinking with our brains and never thinking with our bodies. And when you do boxing, you know, when you do a 15 move fucking combination and let it flow, you're starting to think with your body in a way that also lights up your brain and this awesome, you come away from a session like that and you're like, you feel smarter and more alive because it's not just, you know, people run and they just listen to fucking music and like, I wanna be anywhere but here. You have to be present when you're boxing or the other motherfucker will take your face off. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and, like being present with your body is something, I, you know, I, I'm not trying to say this is like an ascended master. I'd never done this before. Like I was never in the moment or in my body or anything. And like the way that that has changed my relationship to just being alive, let alone being a filmmaker has been huge. Well, here, uh, I don't want to jump before too late, but maybe, maybe it's a yeah, little bit of time. But uh, so this reminds me of a conversation we had in our, our previous show with uh, Timo, where uh, he kind of was busting Liam's ball because he said um, the reason Liam got jacked was because he had to uh, he had to uh, match the energy of, of Frank Grillo because you know Frank Grillo is kind of notoriously like you know the alpha male so, quote unquote on the sets. So he was like in order to not get punked, he had to like you know re reflect the same. So I want to move, move forward a little bit to um, Arch Enemy. You have well, I, wait, I, have, uh, I, I do have to correct this one. Uh, I let it, it was a good joke, but to be honest, <laughs> I, I was a wrestler in high school. I was, you know, I was a pretty, pretty good wrestler in high school. Sectional finalist, you know, division, uh, state, all state. I've been lifted. And then I did do bodybuilding in college. And, you know, I, I was like about the weight I am now in college. So I was like almost, it was like 195, 200. I was deadlifting 405. Like, I, and then I kind of I chilled out after that. Came to LA, would still work out, but it's just one of those things. Later in life, I was like, I want to get back into to doing like real lifting when the pandemic hit. Really, I was I was always lifting, but the pandemic was like, and I got the virtual trainer thing, uh, Athlean X, and it's just been yeah. it, it, I put on put uh, back to my college weight and back to my college lift. So there you go. Anyway, I did want, I, I was sitting on that for uh, two weeks. Yeah. Well, you definitely had like the, uh, the uh, MBA school physique when, you know, I see old pictures of skylines. You're like you were, you were a little slender, but anyway. Yeah. Right, so yeah, no, I, I was, but I'm saying I, I've, it's been, it's more of a, I was big. I, I slid out and now I'm big again rather than that picture it, I tweeted uh, a while ago of professor Liam, where he's got the fucking that like promo shot where you got your, like your fucking cardigan on and stuff. Yeah, no, I mean, exactly. I, like it, I can never shave the beard. I mean, you guys see my face. It's, it's like, but my chin is too small. I need this extra size. Yeah. It, it's horrible. But, uh, but uh, yeah, so I want to talk, you know, like, so you have, so moving on to um, our academy, like, you know, how you can talk about how, how that came about uh, from the success of, of the previous film, like, because you know, and again, like, you know, you go from going from Noah Seekin or to like Joe Manganiello, like, it's a quantum. Well, no, it's so much different energy, you know. And yeah. I, you know, it suits the movie because it's very the movie is very just a dark, like you said, it's not really an action film per se. It's more of a dark crime thriller that has this kind of fantastical element to it. But also, you have this gigantic star in, in the center of it all, you know, yeah. in multiple ways. So, yeah, can I talk about how that came about. So, um, I. <clears throat> I started writing that. I think I was writing it 
after I made some kind of hate, you know, before we were able to make Daniels at Real, I started writing Arch Enemy. I, you know, I am, but before I should, I, oh, I got a copy. I, I wrote a comic book back in like 2013. It's called Ballistic. Oh, nice. I don't know if you guys know about this. It's pretty insane. It's like a, the, it's the artist who did the boys and it's yeah. a futuristic thing about a guy with a talking sentient gun and the gun is addicted to drugs. So he goes to rob, <laughs> goes to rob a bank and the gun refuses to shoot the security guard. And he's like, no, cause I need drugs. And then, <laughs> so I've always had like, uh, you know, a fucked up action vibe in me. And, um, and I, I, I was thinking about way back when I started writing Arch Enemy and it's almost hard to imagine now that we've had multiverse and we've had all this stuff, but uh, you know, in, in the spider verse and everything, but like, at that time, I was like, these, the cool thing about comic book superhero stories was like how science fiction and weird they were and all these different multiple universes. And I'm super into Grant Morrison and he's become a friend of mine. And we're always trying to do stuff together. And like, I was like, what if I make like a, and I had seen, you know, my friends had all just made Bone Tomahawk. And I was like, you know, which was made for like no money. It was like $250,000 to shoot that movie and then all the money to hire big stars. And I was like, right. I want to do something like that, where I can shoot like a street level superhero movie, pour all the money into the stars and pour some other money into effects. And um, so I started writing it as like, and this, you know, in some ways I was like, what would it be like if Wong Kar Wai made a superhero movie? You know, not that I that it got anywhere near his fucking Granger, but just that approach of like, that it's based on the aesthetics and the humanity more than the plot. And, um, so I was writing that and then I got to make Daniels at Real, which was awesome and it, and, it, and it worked out really well. And so about a, you know, pretty soon after that movie came out, Spectre Vision came back to me and I had told them about Arch Enemy over the years and they came, came back to me and they were like, yo, we just got a slot open up. We have some financing. Do you want to do that movie immediately? And I was like, yes. And they were like, we can't afford to do all, because it was written, all the stuff that's animated was originally supposed to be like live. That was going to be what was expensive. And they're like, we can't afford that. And I was like, it's cool, we'll just do like weird psychedelic animation. And I put together a team of three people who did all the animation. Um, but Joe had reached out to them because he, you know, like a lot of people had been reaching out to SpectreVision because they all loved Mandy and they all were like, I want to do that. Right. And um, and so they introduced me to him. We, we, we sent them the script and, you know, and, and Joe is like the perfect, you know, embodies what this character is because this character is, you know, was once a superhero and now he's like destroyed. And, um, you know, Joe had had this experience. He was supposed to play Superman back in the day when he was on True Blood. He would, they, they were like, you're going to be Superman. And he couldn't do it because he couldn't shift the shooting schedule of True Blood, you know? So it was like, in some ways, like you embody, you were a guy who, what, you know, in an alternate universe, you were Superman, just like Max Fist in an alternate universe. He was a superhero. And, um, you know, what I love about Joe is that he's such a, like, physical, you know, we all know him from Magic Mike and just being, a, like, a badass. But, you know, he really studied theater, you know, and he just wants, he's, like, the kind of guy who, like, he wants to just be an actor. But because of his physicality, he's in that kind of in a in a lane. And I was, like, I want to expand that lane. Like, let's, you know, figure this. So we were just a great pairing. Like, he was the right guy for the thing. And well, um, he's also a giant fucking nerd. I mean, been on Critical Role. He's like, like he's a giant, <laughs> which makes him perfect for that movie. Right. That, I mean, we yeah, because we were able to talk like deep mythology about Superman and about comic. You know, I wasn't like 
training him up on, you know, here's what I mean by superhero. You know, he knew all about that shit. Yeah, I went to his house and he does, you know, I saw the fucking D&D room, you know, so like, and it's just, he's got like a skull throne that he sits on and, you know, all the, it's fucking, he's got like a mind player statue on the wall. You know, it's like the real deal. <laughs> so, so he was able to like, you know, love what we were doing, but also, you know, the thing that I love, um, a, a thing that I'm really interested in is uh, working with really sexy men and kind of deconstructing them. You know, I, I think I, I did the same thing with Patrick Schwarzenegger. He's like gorgeous man. And I was like, but you're going to play a fucking demonic evil motherfucker. So I want you to be sexy, but also horrible. And, um, and it was the same with Joe. It was like, you're so just charming and like just the most beautiful human male specimen, but like, let's cover you in fucking filth and dirty hoodies and you live in trash. And like that way in the moments when he shines as like kind of coming into his full self, he's really got that inside of him. So, and you know, and he loves action and he, and he, and he loves to do stunts and things like that. So it was really, you know, he would really thrive when we would talk about kind of, you know, the scenes where he gets to fuck people up. I think I, you know, it's interesting. Uh, you guys all know action so well. I think that when it came to the action in that movie, where I might have made a mistake was introducing guns in it too much. Because, and I'm, and I'm trying to figure this out in my new script is like, I just want to see people fighting each other with machetes and rocks. And if, and in real life, you're like, but a guy would just bring a gun to that fight and shoot everybody. And we played it like that in Arch Enemy, where it's like. He shows up at like the bad guy's place with a gun. So they all come up to get him and go, bum, 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 and he kills them all. And I tried to sort of film that in a way where it's like, oh, that's like jarring because you expect he's superhero, but he, now it's like, but I'm also like, how do you remove, and this is really like a question for the room. How do you remove the kind of, you know, the, how do you get into hand-to-hand -hand combat if you also want to be realistic? So I know part of that is like you know we talked we talked with Timo we talked we talked about Indonesian and Korean movies and they kind of how do I say this the kind of out for them is that culturally speaking Indonesia and Korea Asian uh, nations it's harder to get a gun than it is here in America yes. so that that by itself kind of gives them that uh, it's hard to it's weird to say this like head start so that they, let them focus on the next but even like, like the raid like remember like the raid the original the first movie it's not really in, in a martial arts film until the first half an hour has passed that's because they, they, they run out of bullets so right. like they they kind of brilliant yeah. structure that he, he was like they run out of you know they're on a contained mission they run out of bullets fucking great yeah you know so yeah so for american ones as, as, that's what i'm coming wondering because like i know well the, we there are like there's always this kind of consternation about american remakes of asian films and that actually that's actually a component of it i think that i is not taking the consideration of it was like uh yes we do have a uh, plethora of guns here sadly to say in america so how do you get around that now, i remember like one example was the uh district b13 remake of brick mansions with the paul walker r.i.p like you know it's a fucking terrible movie though <laughs> but like not because not because they try to get around guns but just like the the context of that uh french parkour and they even have one of the same stars movie it doesn't make sense in our american style so like they try to like blend them but it doesn't work because so yeah like yeah it's, it's i think to this day is a question that's not really been answered yet mm -hmm. um because again once that that big cultural thing but two um I, even now I, I, there's news i recent news i think this past week that um they're gonna make a you know there's not a video game at, at pages nowadays they're making a movie of adaptation of streets of rage the old Sega genesis beat-em-up game and like, like you know like, like that game is you know three row cops walking through the streets beating people up but it's like but also in that game when you push the button for the festival, 
a, a car with rockets come out, you know? <laughs> like, like, so it's like, how do you, I'm, so, I'm very curious about what's going to happen because like, how do you translate an American street crime drama without guns? And, oh, but I think one, to relate to the cultural thing, one thing that, well, recent thing that has kind of found success is the Lost Bullet series, the French action movies. They're, they're like car-based, like a crime noir with like a hot rod, so to speak. You know, but so it's very much the guns are there because the cops with guns and they they shootouts and car chases. But in both of those films so far, they have a central set piece of a big ass fight. Where in this case, usually it's like a in the case of this character, he's a kind of ex-con trying to escape uh, apprehension. So they're in the police station, and the, the way the movie did is like, did you? We all know they had to keep him alive because they had to arrest him. So they have this, this huge like like four minute long sequences of knockdown drag out fights. And it makes sense within this context of this story, even though in the same movie, there's plenty of blood and guts and gunshots and, and right. you know, right. I mean, he can't kill a cop. If, if he kills the cops, you know, he's going, he's, he's done. And then in the second one, he is a cop. So it's not like he's going wants to kill them. It's more like the fights have different stakes. The fights are about stopping each other, not killing each yeah. other. So that, I mean, but the joke on beyond skyline, um, we just kept kicking the fucking guns. <laughs> we did it like three or four times, and I was just like, "Fuck it." Uh, I, I, I yeah, you've got like you can see they've got four thousand guns in the temple, and then outside the temple, they're just doing head kicks to aliens. Oh, it's like you fucking want to see that when Eco shows up in a movie. You're like, I don't want to yeah. see people. I want to see him fucking kick their heads off. And yeah, no, we had him. We had him firing his gun, and then he just is like, uh, there was a scene where he 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 went out of bullets and then took out the knives. But I think I cut that little thing around, so it shows him firing, and then the next time you see him, he's just like, shing, and rides the knives <laughs> down the back of the the alien. But in the actual fights, there's literally it was a joke on set. They're like, so what are you gonna do about the gun here? I was like, kick it out of his hands. We'll just <laughs> just just do it again. Let's go. Well, and that's so as the guy who's not the ex-military film journalist and is not the director, as the guy who literally is on this podcast because he's the action movie fan, I feel fairly confident in saying this. Nobody gives a shit. Like, <laughs> nobody gives a shit. Like, if you want to make a movie that's a martial arts movie where, you know, you want to make it realistic that's fine. Nobody's going to care. No, like, like if somebody's going to be so fucking pedantic that they're going to be like, why didn't this guy just pull out a gun? They were never going to be a fan of the movie in the first place because an action fan will appreciate the beauty of physical movement and, and just go with it. They're not going to be like, I have never watched a martial art. Like a perfect example is I think one of the best action movies of the last 20 years is uh, Michael Jai White's Blood and Bone. And mm -hmm. that is a movie that absolutely 100% should have guns everywhere in that fucking movie. And it doesn't. You know why? Because nobody gives a shit. Because you're watching <laughs> Jai White taste to people for 90 fucking minutes. And and, and that's, that's ultimately, like, to me, that's the thing. If you're making a movie for action fans, they will go with it. You don't need to worry about it. The suspension of disbelief is real because, frankly, all martial arts on film are bullshit anyway, right? Exactly. We all know that film martial arts is completely ineffective in the real world. Yeah, and, I mean, I always think I always think back to, um, you know, uh, an old. I, I used to hang out on an old 
uh, martial arts uh, message board and somebody was asking, what's the best practical real world martial art? You know, is it Krav Maga or is it whatever? And somebody responded. They said, there's only two practical real world martial arts. One is run foo. And the other one is nine millimeter Glock foo. Uh, and that, that's it. anything else comes below that. So, so, you know, don't, I, far be it for me to give advice to the guy who made Daniel isn't real, but like, don't get in your head on how am I making this realistic? Because nobody's going to give a shit. If you're making an action movie, make an action movie. People are going to care that the action looks good. It looks like a dance. It looks like a musical. Uh, that's what they're going to care about. Don't worry about trying to come up with some reason why guns don't exist. Um, it's an interesting question. Cause I, you know, in, in, the thing I got hung up with on Daniel that I felt like I solved was how is the audience going to believe that when you see Patrick standing there and he's just a physical actor who's obviously on camera, how is the audience going to believe that nobody else can see him, you know, and there's scenes where he's standing there and all the other characters have to just pretend that, you know, and, and I solved that filmically. I was like, cause I'll shoot it this way. I'll shoot it this way. I have all these rules about it. And I feel like there's, there's, you know, what you're saying is the same thing, which is that the aesthetics of it solve it. You know, like there's a there's a way in the cinematic language of the piece that allows you to get away with, you know, because I'm saying, well, how can I make a movie where people don't bring a gun to a fight? I made a movie where a guy's a fucking demon with huge fucking horns and he just comes out in a room and we all fucking believe that. And I'm like, what, 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 yeah, what? in a perfect, <laughs> like Daniel's a perfect example of that. How how did people believe that? Well, because you and Miles made people believe that. Right. Right. Like that's that's part part of it is also your actors, like making sure you cast the right people who can sell that, because I will tell you, like, look, Patrick in Daniel is a real is giving an amazing performance. But that movie doesn't fucking work without Miles doing well. Yeah, Miles is incredible. And I, uh, the minute you see him on screen, he's like, a, you know, you just you love him and he's, you know, and he goes so hard. His, you know, the, I remember, you know, the days when we were shooting the stuff at the end when he's in the Demon Fortress, like he was having a hard time just physically because he was so committed to you know living in that world and it was like it was kind of hardcore to see i was like oh this is what it was like when you know in, in apocalypse now when my man had a fucking heart attack and they had to you know it was like all right miles be cool like we just got one more shot like don't die yet you know but yeah he he's he's an incredible actor i would like to see him do a lot more because he the minute he's on a screen you just want to you want him to succeed and he you know he had wanted to play daniel which was what was cool about him when i first met him you want to play Daniel's like, well, that's perfect for you to be Luke because Luke wants to be Daniel. So you can use all that energy. And then at the end, when you get to be Daniel, then you're going to really, you know, kind of explode. You know, that movie from, from the jump from, from some kind of hate to Daniel's and real is a lot of it to me is uh, the production design. And, and like, it, it's just, it's, it's such a, you know, an incredible impeccably designed film and like the house, the sets, uh, the fortress, like, so what was your process like different between the two of those? I mean, you said you were talking about how you kind of learned how to direct. Um, one of the things I feel like I've always had really good uh, partnerships with my DPs, mm -hmm. but I've kind of had like different production designer, like beyond skyline, there was four different production designers mm -hmm. we shot and shot in four different shoots around the world. And there wasn't like a cohesive part for me to do that with i kind of felt like i had to do what how is this coming together and and uh the third movie it was definitely more cohesive but it was more uh i always still felt like i was 
fixing the set very much like right before we were going. And I never mm-hmm. felt like I had this, like, I never felt like I built a movie with a production designer from the ground up. And I was wondering what your experience was on Daniel is a real. I had, yeah. I mean, I had a wonderful production designer that called uh, Kate McKennedy and she was brilliant. Um, and also I went into that movie with a really strong vision of it. So I, you know, and one thing you mentioned my Twitter thread, I put a lot of this stuff up there before, but it's like, I created a thing I called a design document, which was a very intense, a very long document about like the rules of how we film things and like uh, the style of the movie. Like I, I had this idea of the movie's gonna start, it's gonna be about a depressed kid. It's gonna end with a kid running around in a demonic fortress. How is that gonna feel like the same movie? So it needs to have this like, these shifts in the style so that you realize when you're at the end, oh, it's all the same movie, but we've covered a lot of ground aesthetically, like really thinking about it as from an aesthetic point, what's subjective, what is objective, what does that mean? And um, and so, and that had like, that document had like the, the exact color palette of, of the movie. It had like the backstory of the apartment, who owned the apartment, why it looks like this, where it came from, how it relates to the family, like, so all this stuff so that, and um, when I, look to hire somebody for the movie. Like they all had to read that before the interview so that they're not coming to me with all just brand new ideas. And I'm choosing somebody based on some brand new ideas. I'm choosing somebody based on here's what I've got so far now make it really awesome. And, and, and that allowed us to connect. And, and the other thing that was really important to me in hiring people was like having an emotional connection to them. So production designer, you know, we get everybody's portfolios are dope. But when I talked to Kate, we talked about like, we've both been divorced and like she had this really fucked up experience where she had a, a, a bad illness and her ex-husband was, you know, had this horrific problem and all that, you know, and like half of our conversation was about that instead of about like, is it going to be blue or green? You know what I mean? So that like we could really connect to the material on this like emotional level. And, and, and what I'm always trying to do is say like, okay, this scene, this setting, this set piece, the core of it is this emotion. And so from that emotional story, what does it look like? What's the aesthetic? So, you know, my whole thing is always being like in in between, like I want it to be a dope style. I'm gonna put in cool neon lights, but that's all gonna be based on like the emotional truth of the thing. And once you're all on the same page as, as that, then you can start to make really strong choices that make the whole thing feel like a cohesive world and you can communicate the same way. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, like I, I have not been able to have like a lot of consistency from movie to movie. It sounds like you're saying the same thing, Liam, like I've had a different DP every time just because of, you know, availability or different kind of things. I've had a different production designer every time, but I got, re- I, I think, you know, I got really lucky that, you know, I worked with, um, Helena Hutchins on Arch Enemy, RIP. It's such a fucked up tragedy that, that, that she, she died. She's the cinematographer that was on the movie Rust, but, um, you know, I I think originally I went into that movie, it was like, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll work with my man from Daniel again, and he, he couldn't do it. So Helena also brought like incredible vision. She understood, you know, what I was trying to do. And I kind of, kind of lost, <laughs> I lost track a little bit because I started thinking about Helena and I got distracted. But um, the, uh, I don't know, did I answer? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you did, and um, I'm, I, you know, we, we, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because that was, uh, you know, that that was obviously a, a, a something that we talked about on this podcast. We're deeply affected by, and uh, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I've lost track too. It's, and I didn't, I didn't even meet her, but um, I'm still kind of heartbroken over it. So I, I can only imagine what what it feels like for you. 
Um, but from a you know from a design point of view, that this is the this is the part about filmmaking that I love the most. It's hanging out with actors and it's designing the movie before you have to go in and shoot it and like think like really thinking through. And you know there was a movie I was supposed to do that's been kind of up uh, up in the air back and forth. And I and I found that when I was trying to figure out how to design it, I couldn't quite crack it. Even though like we were just about to have the financing and I had the script, I was like, I don't know if I should make this movie because somehow I'm not finding this thing on it and and you know i think that you know increasingly that was you know you talked about sort of the jump from some kind of hate to daniel i think that was the some kind of hate i was like learning how to do that learning what that all meant and then with daniel i was really able to execute it by having the confidence of saying like oh if i if i think about the emotions first then the style and the design will i can trust that whereas i didn't know what to trust the first time through you know mm-hmm. no no that that's incredibly incredibly useful incredibly insightful I'm, I'm so glad you shared that yeah and, and that's why and i know you gotta I, I, I you know the the that scene that one scene in arch enemy that's the slow motion scene where he fights against the guy called longman to me that was the high point of the movie because that was about here's a man who has been like all you know repressed and living in garbage and all this stuff he finally gets to express himself through violence at the highest level. Like this is what he lives for. Like this gives him purpose and it's degraded. In the other universe, he got to be a superhero, but here he's just going to fuck up this one dude. But to him, it's a religious experience. And that's why it's slow motion. And that's why the music is this kind of like fucked up post-human kind of sound, because I was like, it's an action scene based on that emotional reality of a guy who's finally found his transcendent purpose by kicking another dude in the head. And then in that, in that particular scene, uh, sorry, what's the actor's name who plays Longman? Because uh, this Dallas is a great physical, you know, because he's. No, he, I forgot his name. He was a he was a stunt guy. You know, he came in from the stunt team, and then you know, so, and then we cast him to play the role. So it wasn't gonna, you know, he wasn't gonna be replaced by the stunt guy. He was yeah. the guy doing all of that stuff. All yeah, because yeah, just the, the, that scene in particular, I want to focus on because that, like, again, like, I guess it kind of makes so much sense that you have, you know, Joe Manuel is like a, this, again, this physically large person. So you have to have a match to make this really work, and so you get that you, you like the kind of he's he suddenly establishes himself as, as like this mute badass as as the character calls him, and then you actually see it and like you like like that's kind of the uh, it's hard to say like the first real moment you see that um, he is completely vulnerable in this universe not just because he's a drunk and he's like a loser but like no he can die all the things you heard about him being a superhero and whatnot like, there's just some goon, some powerful goon who can end his life right there. That's where it kind of all comes to a head there, and it's like, yeah, like I said, that 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 transcendent kind of feeling. I'm like, is it is, it, is this dude fighting in a fucking bar or, or something like run down fucking? But like, that's that's kind of the power of the magic of the movie is like you, yeah. you bring all the stuff to bear and then just let it play out in this kind of simplest form. But in that simplicity, it's like this kind of profound experience. That's really well Karen, done. Karen Gallagher is the name of the. Oh, thank you for that. Yeah, yeah, and he he was awesome, and he you know he worked through and helped to design that whole fight, and you know there's a. Yeah. That's, also, that's also one of my one of my um my favorite uh, tropes in movies is uh the baddest like henchmen because there's, there's goons and then, and, then, and then there's uh minions and then there's henchmen <laughs> henchmen henchmen hench for life and that dude that dude was down for for the cause he was ready to go yeah I love that, I love that part <laughs> well and Adam that's one of the things I think you kind of hit on that I think makes your movies so um so effective even even you know you said you think some kind of hates only like okay but there's a real emotional truth in the movies that you that you have made. And uh, and I think that's kind of what sets them apart from from, you know, a lot of other movies. I mean, 
especially again, I, I cannot for people listening, I cannot uh, sing the praises of Daniel isn't real enough. Uh, I, I think that that movie fucking devastated me when I watched it. I wasn't expecting, you know, I, I at that point I hadn't seen some kind of hate yet, but I knew uh, a bunch of friends of mine, like people like Heather Wixon, who writes for the Daily Dead oh, stuff, had really sung the praises of it. So I watched it and I was fucking destroyed by that movie. Um, you know, and then uh, Arch Enemy, I thought was just, again, a perfect use of, like you mentioned, doing all the animated sequences, a perfect example of how to work with the resources that you have. Um, there's a real emotional truth to your movies that uh, I, I I don't see a lot in people working with the budgets that you're working with. Um, and, and I, it, you know, and so that's what I think if people haven't listening, haven't watched your movies, I can't imagine there's people listening that haven't watched your movies. Um, I, I know you're not like an action guy, but there's a huge crossover between action and horror. And, and I know there's certainly some people listening uh, that, that have seen your movies, but that is what always hits me with your movies. You, you really dial in on this sort of, yeah, like I can't say it any better than that. Just this emotional truth that I think is is really from the bullying in some kind of hate to the whole idea of mental, you know, uh, as we we talked about just, a, you know, a little bit ago, mental health. And, and you know, and this is a show that's very uh, I, I think it's fair to say that, you know, everybody that follows me knows I am action packed with mental health issues. And so I found Daniel isn't real to be um, uh, just a really sensitive uh sort of thought or, or movie about mental health and how that works. And then arch enemy, kind of the same thing um, in that, that that's, you know, I hope whatever movies you make in the future, you, you keep that because that is, that is, I think what sets you apart from so many other directors right now. Thank you. Man, no, uh, oh yeah, yeah. I totally concur with Mike, you know, we appreciate you. And also like, I guess, well, maybe this is like the death wave 2.0 or new death, <laughs> new death wave. Like you, like, you no, know, like you and like a, uh, Mention the Moorhead, you know, those dudes that do like, you know, uh, the endless, yeah. like they have a very similar thing, but they, they have like these fantastical concepts, but they're grounded. It's just real emotional, emotional and physical reality. Like, you know, just like this bum ass dudes like on the street, you know, like they had, had these fantastical experiences. And you're definitely part of that, that kind of, that, that wave of, of, of this kind of not, not low budget, but indie sci-fi yeah. horror yeah, yeah. acts and stuff. You know, that, that's definitely, you guys are in the bag with that, man. I'm pr I'm predicting that uh, I think 2023 to 2026 I think we're gonna we're gonna move into an era of the new weird American action. I think you're gonna see like a lot of the guys, a lot of the filmmakers who were doing horror on an indie indie scale are gonna be making action movies instead. And like I you know when you look at what the effect that RRR and everything everywhere those two movies one two punch I saw them the same weekend in the theater when they first came out like. That's gonna make a change, I think, in what people who want to make like, like exactly like what what you're saying, Michael, like emotionally charged genre movies. That there's gonna be this kind of like, you know, the world is so fucked up. How can we express that through action? You know, part of the reason I wanted to shift into action for a minute was because I realized all three of my movies have ended in suicide. Spoiler alert! If you haven't seen them, but every single one <laughs> of the movies, Lincoln fucking lights himself on fire to beat the monster and some kind of hate fucking miles jumps off the goddamn fucking roof oh also joe jumps off a roof i i mean it's like i i can't stop so i was i was writing this new movie i was like I, he's just got to solve his problems with violence as a spiritual journey but not 
against himself. Like I gotta, you know, and I, but I do, th I think that like the more we talk about trauma, trauma, tra it's like, all right, we fucking get it. This is why Terrifier <laughs> is fucking box office. I get it, elevated trauma. Yeah, we're all fucking trauma. We got the trauma on lock. Let's just ruin it under the monsters, this trauma. And I'm the fucking primo example of the monsters, his trauma, but I'm kind of ready to do something else now. And I think a lot of other people are in our culture. And you look at movies like I got I have to throw the shout out because it was th through your Twitter that I saw about you when you said that uh, by bust, you tweeted oh. by bust, how, how hard that movie goes. It was one of, the, you know, because I posted this thing about recommend action movies and your shit was like, I got to watch every single thing. <laughs> Yeah, well, that was also that was a dead giveaway that you were developing yeah, right. an action movie. So, so uh, we're not breaking news there. You always got to see what 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 directors are tweeting about. There's always yeah. something behind it. We're manipulative I people. I see movies like that or like Weera or whatever, and I'm like, when the, when American directors like myself start to see what what is available, how hard you can go with these movies, and then you apply that to the American sensibility of like kind of psychedelic emotional reality. I just think this is a thing. I mean, maybe it'll be a thing of one, me, but I actually, I think there's, you know, cause I know other people are out there working on this kind of thing right now. Well, so interesting. I, I actually don't, I don't think it's going to be a thing of one because and Liam does not agree with me on this movie. This is maybe the movie that Liam and I have disagreed the most on in our entire friendship, but quite frankly, the Matrix Resurrections is that. That is a movie fucking rules. I, love <laughs> I wrote a sick piece about that. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. But but I mean, Liam, you have to agree. Whether you don't like the action or or, or stuff like that, you do have to agree. That is a movie that is about uh, emotional investment and emotional truth. You know, whether yeah. you think they succeed, but that's that's no. I, it's just it, it, if it just wasn't a Matrix movie, I think I'd be able to appreciate everything that that everybody else sees in it. And like I said, I, I I had a hot and cold experience. I just I worship. It's like it's a little bit why I was so like loving Tron Legacy the other day because I was like at the time I was kind of like yeah this movie's okay but now I would go back I'm like that's the last time they did a big budget Matrix aesthetic movie and we never had one fucking since that fucking kills me so I I really love the aesthetics of the original Matrix movies and was just not happy that uh, it looked like a TV show this time so sorry. I agree with you because I, I feel like the opposite, like any other movie that looks like that, I would have been like, I hate this aesthetic, but she is <laughs> using aesthetics like a weapon. And that's what, like, what I love is there's all those shots where you see the original Matrix on a big screen. I know, but I just want to watch that movie. World <laughs> I don't think it's a great like, idea to put a good looking movie in a not good looking movie. But that, to do that on purpose is fucking incredible. And it forces you to think about like, what did I want this to be? And was the original uh, aesthetic you tricking me? And then now this is so stripped down and what is it? And, and like you said, like Michael says, it forces you to go to the emotion of it. Yeah. That, that, that reminds me. That reminds me like, because uh, you know, like the biggest movie in, in the well, world, or America, right now, is the Top Gun re remake or Top Gun sequel, which yeah. nobody would fucking realize, would ever imagine that. I mean, yes, Top Gun was popular, but nobody could have, nobody foresaw the hold, it, the, the 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 impact that it has had. And I think, even though it's not quite, it's not obvious, but what you're saying is they're true because it's not just oh, here's Tom Cruise again doing Tom Cruise with the jet no, fighters. It's, 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 it is that, but like there's an act that the the resonance of the emotion that he's bringing to this like you know with, with the with with Iceman like that shit is like real like even you know like but i think that is because it's so formalist and aesthetic like his aesthetics are so beautiful and almost yeah. perfect on the movie and classic and they're not done in this like tv coverage style i think i think like people can't quite 
There, there's so much beauty in Top Gun Maverick. It's insane. And, and, uh, well, you're right, but I just meant to like, I meant like thematically, like what, what Adam is saying, like, you know, that that um, emotional kind of action, like, because there's not much, well, aside from it being aesthetically cleaner, there's not much um, functional difference between the first and second movies. Like, it's, well, no. No, the first one is, a, it, it has a real big character death that is, it's, yeah. it's kind of interesting from the fact that they were trying to go so commercial, like structurally where they kill goose. It just, I, I had this other project that uh, you guys know about that I was going to shoot uh, later this, or I was supposed to shoot this year. It didn't happen. And one of the main characters died in a similar structural place to the first Top Gun. It was the reference that I was using. And I was like, but in Top Gun, they literally take 20 minutes to deal with goose's death, which is a long time in a movie to deal with the character's death. And it turns into kind of like, a really melancholy, sad part of, of, of an otherwise pretty big feel good blockbuster. But in Maver in, 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 uh, in Maverick, obviously you set up the, the sadness of, of the Iceman's death, but then it really kind of, it goes into a much more feel good, happy place. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I guess there, there, there's that structural similarity to it, but I do feel like it's less, a lot less of a downer yeah. and that is why it becomes bigger. And I also have another theory that, it's basically like an alternate. The reason why Top Gun Maverick to me is is like so successful is because it almost feels like you're looking into the alternate timeline of the U.S. without Trump. It feels like <laughs> it feels like you're looking at like the Obama era, like if if we never did Trump. So when I go and see that movie, it's like I've, I've escaped like the horrors of the last like six years when I'm in there, and I think that's like everyone could just agree that this is a good time together. I, I anyway, that I, I was actually drunk at a wedding talking about that last night. We, we've, we've gone far afield this one, but like that's kind of interesting point because like you see a lot of these fucking like uh, right wing pundits like uh, America is back to the values because they want they, people going to see Maverick. Like no, like that, that's but you know, but that's what they believe too. But but back to the point I was trying to say is that like even in such a big high level superstar blockbuster like that this emotional thing is coming truer like for like you know maverick has all like the sharpness and cleanliness and scope and scale of like a transformers but it's well of a big budget movie but it has this really hard emotional truth at the center of it all that that's what people are responding to more more than more so than that the cool ass fucking uh mach 10 spaceship whatever which is cool but like that's not what makes the movie it's it's the, the emotional journey that's making the movie that people are connecting to it that's actually perfect that you brought that up, Vice, because, uh, again, we're going way off. And, Adam, this is how we roll. We just go way <laughs> off. This is great. Um, but that's actually, you know, we talked last week uh, or a couple weeks ago about Phase 4 and Black Adam and, and, and stuff like that. And I think that's actually part of the problem with the MCU Phase 4 is if you go back and you watch Captain America, the first Avenger, yes, it's a kick-ass comic book movie, but there's also Joe Johnston brings a real like sort of emotional truth to Steve Rogers in that movie. And I feel like the MCU has lost that. There is no emotional truth in their movies. Maverick for all its things, that is a, an emotionally resonant movie. And, and so I like that. That's what you're saying, Adam, is I do think there is this, you know, even John Wick, I mean, so much about John Wick is still for all its action and stuff like that is about the emotional truth of this guy lost his wife and these fucking assholes killed his dog. And literally the entire world is getting burned down because they killed the one thing that he still like had to live for. 
Um, and that, that to me is always what will make, like, I love, I love just somebody, uh, I, I don't remember who it was on Twitter. Oh, it was, um, great, great comic book writer, Alex DeCampi, um, who is a mutual of mine and, and I love her. Uh, she had asked for what's your favorite movie action movies of the last few years. Cause she does, she writes a lot of action comic books and, uh, she was like, but I don't just want shadows fighting. Like I want character. And so I, I recommended to her. The debt collector movies, the accident man movies, paper tigers, um, you know, some of those because there really is this undercurrent right now, especially in like indie DTV action of I think these sort of emotionally true and resonant paper tigers might be the best example. I don't know, Adam, if you haven't seen paper tigers, write that down, yeah. You, I don't know where you were on my Twitter thread with these yeah. recommendations. But. Um, you need to you need to see the Paper Tigers. It, the action is not the the highest, but I mean it is. The action is done by Marshall Club, so the same guys that did everything everywhere all at once. But it's not going to blow your mind. But the the emotional truth of the action scenes in Paper Tigers. Vice and I have been singing the praises of Paper Tigers for the last two years. It, it is one of the best action movies um, that I have ever seen. It's about these old guys who used to be badasses. Uh, Liam's friend, Yoshi Sadarsu is, is the the main character when he's younger and he gets to show off. And then he's, he's uh, I'm drawing a blank on the actor's name, but Elaine, uh, I can't remember his name, but it, it take, it's these 50 year old former badass martial artists who kind of have to come out of retirement. And it really is very emotionally resonant because they ain't good anymore. <laughs> and, uh, and so it, uh, it really does, you know, I think you're right. There is this going to be this wave of these, you know, we've spent so much time in horror with trauma and emotional truth and stuff like that. But like now it's like, okay, well now it's the time to, have our trauma manifest not as a monster but as us standing up and learning how to fight back against our trauma. yeah how to handle it yeah exactly. i think i think those i didn't see those new halloween movies but i feel like the press tours of those movies like killed the horror talking points because they just kind of fucking like they kept saying the quiet part loud and it just it started to feel really manipulative and uh so i think that that was like the end of a end of a, uh, an era. Like, okay, yeah. we can't just keep fucking saying this is about trauma all the fucking time. Right. Right. Halloween kills. Trauma is the monster. Yeah. <laughs> that's what it, that's what it and I think that's why, you know, I think they, that's why RRR is such a slam dunk. You know, you're talking about Maverick. I'm talking about RRR. Like the, that movie is so emotionally charged and it's charged, like Rajamuli says, it's charged with the emotion of love. That is why they're fighting the whole time. It's about friendship. It's about love. And it's like, I've seen that movie in theaters a couple times now. Every 10 minutes, the entire theater cheers, screams. It's fucking insane. My friend Ariel Vita, who is the production designer of Arch Enemy, she has seen it in theaters 26 times. I, I saw that because Jordan Jordan was going to see it with her the other yeah. night. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, that was their 25th time. And now I think she's seen it for the 26th as of today. She's like flown to New York for the day just to see screenings of it. Like, cause that, you know, and like, uh, what else has ever been like that? But the first Star Wars, you know? So I think that the the fact that, that it's not just that there's fucking tigers and you know, the fucking shoulders and the blows. I mean, it's all, all the action's insane, but like the emotion of that movie just make you fucking freak out. And you, you got to meet him, didn't you? I saw, I, did. I, got I saw. 
I got to have dinner with him, which was super lucky. It was basically because I was Amy's plus one because she's fancier than me, and she got to. <laughs> and um, but I did get to sit and talk to him, and 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 sort of ask him. You know, there were a couple things that were really important to me to get into with him. One was this, you know, because he doesn't structure movies like three act structures. He structures them like the most important scene is what happens right before the intermission. That's the most important scene, and everything is building to that. And he also thinks about it in terms of this 10 minute structure, everything is building to a peak and then builds to a peak and then builds to a peak. That's how he structures a movie. You just feel that. And I've seen now like six, I think of his movies and they're all like that. Every single, you guys haven't seen Ega, which is about a man who is murdered and then is reincarnated as a fly and is gonna get revenge on the man who murdered him. It's such a sick fucking movie. It's so great. It's and it's like every 10 minutes you freak out and the midpoint of that but remember the end right the car crash and then the fly does that thing that i won't spoil and it's just like i saw that in the theater everybody lost their fucking minds um well, yeah even like a lot of the, the tollywood stuff is like that people people have no idea like you know uh nairus 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 already this is a, came up i think maybe 2019 i think it was um you know it's another historical uh action adventure based on a real person a real uh rebel against the british you know and same thing is like people don't know about that but like that said this is many like mind-blowing moments that are all rooted in this like sincerity of like they're fighting back suppression you could feel you feel you see it upon the character and you feel it when they, when they strike back and retaliate and it's like this is fuck. like we don't have that shit really anymore and like that's people we, we need this so much here i mean we as americans i think yeah that's interesting that you put it in terms of sincerity i think you might be right about that and that's like why maybe that's why we've had to do like the trauma is the fucking monster the trauma is the talking fucking evil lamb is because <laughs> we're kind of afraid of sincerity you know so yeah. it's like you know you have to couch it in this like it's so terrifying and weird and uh, you get all the shots like you know <laughs> like that like you can't just be like no i love having friends and i'm gonna fight for it like i mean you do make movies like that and they're kind of dumb and we don't like them so like we don't yeah. know how to approach those emotions in a way that like feels you know i'm a fan of this word but like feels transcendent and feels like powerful instead of yeah. you know, i don't know and that's something i think we have to work through as a culture because uh, you know we have to I don't know. Maybe it's like part of the reason we've turned our sincerity just into rage. That's why everything is rage. Mm -hmm. Like the only thing we can really feel comfortable feeling. This is something I learned in therapy is that mm -hmm. a lot of times like you feel fear. And so in order to protect yourself, that's a really bad feeling. So protect yourself from fear. You act enraged. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking about this in terms of like when I was a teenager and the first time I got really, I like kind of stood up for myself against my dad who I love my dad, he's the greatest, but he would also get mad and really scare the shit out of me. Yeah. And when I fought back and that way, I turned my fear into rage and then that never left me. And so now as an adult, I've had to like really think about why am I have so much rage? And I invite you to talk about this on Twitter. So it's, you know, it's like, that's a thing that can like, I don't know, that might, I think culture wide, we're afraid of examining like the deep true emotions. So we express it in terms of rage in this yeah. context. And I have a similar story too. I had a fight with my dad. I was like 18 or whatever, you know, I was like, trying to talk each other. But like, you know, like, you know, because it kind of came to a head because, you know, he's a very like old school kind of Caribbean dude. But since then, we're best of friends because, you know, we, we got that, oh, we got over that, that our own shared, you know, kind of problems. And like, now we're like, no, we love each other. We just, we just have a hard time saying it. But now, no, now, now it's cool. But no, yeah. And, and well, oh, actually, I know oh, we've gone so long. Uh, Liam, I know you shouts, to shouts to fighting your dad. I, I think I was 15. Oh, yeah, right. 14, 15. yeah, I was I was 13 when I took <laughs> it's such I, a feeling. 
I do also want to say that's also actually what happens when I end up fighting with Liam is because uh, he, 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 I think, you know, he and I get along so well, but there's also like, he, he sometimes has conversations with me that I don't necessarily want to have. And I lash out in a very, very aggressive way. So I just, I want to put it on the podcast, Liam, you know, I love you, brother. Yes. Yes. No, I know. I, I, I understood the, the, the passion Mike. I mean, this is part of where you, Mike comes from just a, this different background. I understand like he, you know, he's a district attorney. So there's like, there's a very intense sense of morality. Um, and I'm a little bit more like, what what does that mean? What what is the agreed upon things? And 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 uh, and anyone is uh, is is I, I've noticed anyone's bullying anyone. He gets really really mad and really really defensive. And I think it's admirable. And but I was uh, I was picking on a little bit to be like, does it was there like a Jezebel article that I didn't know that like you're not allowed to QT replies? Like, does anyone else think this, or is this just your? specific code um that and so that was what we were we were getting into on on twitter yeah just for everybody everybody that's wondering we're we're good we we hashed that we went to dms and and as always we always remind ourselves we should just pick up the fucking phone right uh, <laughs> because yeah anyway also, and you know, i think it's part of why we, we like talking to other filmmakers like yourself because like uh how do i say this without sounding without sounding vain like Everybody has gone through shit in their lives. But I think us being old ass dudes from various walks of life who've been through real shit, it's like, it's not, this stuff ain't just like make believe for us. It's like, it's reflections of our reality and all the fucked up shit we've seen. But so we appreciate when guys like you, like Adam and Timo and everybody, are able to like make these distinct reflections of these very serious things, but in a entertaining and in a thought provoking way and emotionally meaningful way. Because that helps that this is the uh, environment, the ecosystem of, of, of this culture, like trusting the emotions of the time and space together and do this shared medium of movies that and really and plus the shared medium movies, plus along with all the stuff that we're all really going to do. Like you know, the, the, the rage, you know, people are angry about, you know, the culture is so divisive, you know, the red and blue, the red wave, blue wave, like we're all so fucking pissed off. And so with this stuff like this, like it's helping us get through that, get out of, get out of our system, you know. But to, to hopefully some to, to a meet a positive end, hopefully. So, you know, they, they, we appreciate you for doing that kind of shit. You know, you and you and all the filmmakers out there, you too, Liam. Even though you, you know, you are. Yeah. yeah even even though I'm, <laughs> yeah, mine just fucking kicking aliens in the head. Uh, <laughs> so that, uh, when you're kicking the alien in the head, is the alien your father? <laughs> well, like, that was your father. Wait, you, your father. wait, you, you. I remember this. Is another thing we have in common, which, by the way, we didn't even tell how we you met. We talked about Indonesia at all. When, when I was shooting, yeah, when I was shooting Beyond Skyline, um, you know, um, I, I was, uh, I, I knew your ex-wife Amanda. Yeah. Um, I, for, through Radical because they came to Hydraulics and they had which like ballistic. They had all these different things that they were trying to do together, and we helped them shoot uh, a trailer for Abattoir, uh, which ended up, you know, uh, Bousman uh directed road directed and ended up making that later without us um but that was a good great experience for me and uh and reading a bunch of their stuff and and, and getting to them so then when you guys were in indonesia and you were looking at infinite studios we i think we were like in prep or almost shooting and uh I, you know you guys came and, and toured around and and uh i was like who's this guy he's, he's got all this energy running around and but you had at that point you were in post for some kind of hate I can't remember if we'd finished it or we were in post or, or what it was. So yeah, so my ex-wife Amanda, um, she's Singaporean. 
So we would go to Singapore periodically to hang out with her family. And I really loved Singapore. Singapore was a big influence on my comic ballistic. It's kind of in a version. Oh, of it's Singapore. such a great city. Yeah. I love that place. So we're hanging out in Singapore and, um, and your producer Duke came and hang, hang out with us. We had, uh, we had dinner with him and stuff. And then we went, we took the ferry across to Batam to Indonesia and, uh, and got to visit your set. And man, uh, I was actually telling Timo this the other day, cause I was DMing him about it. And I was like, I was so jealous. You know, I had just made this movie for $250,000 where like we would be lucky to have a fucking razor blade that could squirt blood out of it. And like I was looking around and you had built, you know, the interiors of the temples that you would then, sh you know, shot the exteriors in Jakarta or whatever. And you had like, yeah. alien tunnels and all this shit. And like, didn't you have like just I don't think they were working uh, uh, the day we were there, but just like just render farms of just thousands of Indonesians doing effects for you or like they had. Oh uh, Yeah, no, they, they had their own like little, yeah. and that, they had their own visual effects company that yeah, yeah. was doing animated stuff, but they, they ended up, they, they didn't really work on, okay. uh, on the movie, but yeah, no, they, they had this standing set there and it just was a perfect thing. It was like some dungeon from a horror movie that then we uh, redressed, but I loved those sets. They were like the yeah. best sets I've, I've, I've ever had. And uh, and then Timo redressed them for um, for headshots. So they're they're kind of a they've had they had a cinematic legacy over there. But yeah, it was it was kind of crazy. I mean, it it was a uh, we had the run of that studio and the the back lot. And and if I knew more what I know now, I would have used that back lot even more. But mm -hmm. I was you know talking about like those things you don't know when you start out. I was like, oh, we have to be on real locations. I got to capture everything for real. And then really understanding the frame now and how like much more information I can control within it. I'm like, no, I should have done that whole scene in the back lot. I could have gotten way more, you know, stunts. People can fall on the ground in the back lot. It's clean. Like we're, we're shooting. We did this one fight scene and it's like the people's like, you know, there was like sewage around us. You know what I mean? Like I can't, <laughs> I can't drop this guy into the dirt, you know? Yeah. So uh, yeah, I, I just think, um, but but that was uh, yeah it was just so funny because we now now lived in L.A. and 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 knowing you through social media and stuff but like we've only met once and it was at a studio in Indonesia. I mean, it just, I, I nothing makes it sound more like international playboys than like oh yeah I, I took the ferry from Singapore to come hang out with you on set when you were in Indonesia that was how we met like that's cool like I oh. forgot that it was Duke though that makes perfect sense yeah, yeah no Duke Duke's uh, been a, a long time yeah and it was right around New Year's I think we were there for the holidays because I, I remember we were like looking at fireworks with Duke we were driving to like a hotel where they were having a New Year's party and there were fireworks everywhere in Singapore yeah that was well, cool. I, I to, to, to I was so jealous that you got uh, Daniel isn't real made and then immediately got to do another movie because that's my dream. My dream yeah. is to just not take any time off between films and make like two or three back to back so that like my anxiety can finally be put to rest. And I actually be like, OK, I've made like four, four or five movies now. Like it's not going to just fall away. Like, well, first I, of all, nothing can solve your anxiety except from within. So let me just, <laughs> don't tell me that. Don't future. tell me that I can find it outward. But in the I world. totally agree. Cause I was, you know, I wanted to be like Takashi Miki and make like three fucking badass movies a year and shit. And the pandemic totally fucked, you know, I was on a roll. Like I went literally, I was at the Q and a for Daniels and real at the Alamo draft house woke up the next day at 5 a.m. to start shooting Arch Enemy. I was like, this is it. Like, I am actually a filmmaker. I have a career. And then the pandemic said, well, you can pick this career up in a couple of years. <laughs>
But that's the juice, man. That's everybody's dream, I think. It's just like just to be able to to work. How funny is that? Like just but it is the, the best job in the world. So yeah, it's a privilege. It's the greatest. And I think it is, you know, since you're talking about mental health, I do th- I I believe, and this is why I have a mentorship program, is like I believe everybody has a right to creative artistic expression and you go fucking insane if you don't have that and it and it, and it finds other ways you know and it do, that doesn't mean everybody has to be a fucking filmmaker you have to, but you have to do a thing you have hopes and dreams humans are very irrational imaginative things you need to be able to put that somewhere and this is an industry that tries to prevent people from working in a fucked up way and that and it can really fuck up your brain and i get you know and and the time the distance between when I made some kind of hate, when I made Daniel was a really rough period of my life. And that, that was when I broke up with Amanda. It was, I was, I woke up every day convinced, just convincing myself I was dying of cancer. And I was like, I'm going to die before I've really shown what I'm capable of. You know, all this fucked up shit that goes through your head just because you want to express yourself. So I think, you know, I'm, I'm really invested in trying to make sure I can help as many people express themselves as, as possible. Cause I think you, you need that. That's like as crucial as food and water and sex and, you know, sunlight, you know, like, yes, <laughs> man, that that's fucking rad. I really, really appreciate everything that you're doing in that uh, arena and hundred percent agree and support it. That so Liam, I know you need, you need to take the kids to Arizona. I do. Uh, so I think this is a good I had such a great time. I'm just like, uh, you know, absorbing the pain that's going to get uh, <laughs> on my way as soon as I sign off. Uh, for, but we can we can let you go now. We do have a few other things to talk about. Adam, you're welcome to hang out with us for the rest of the show if you want, or you can sign off now and Vice and I can can keep going. Up. No, I'll hang. So this is when we can talk about Liam behind his back, right? Yeah, right. absolutely. That's what, that's what we always fucking do. Like, I, oh. Best part of the show. <laughs> I, it, it, I actually really enjoyed la- uh, last week when I was signed off and you guys talked. There was something I wanted to talk about, but... Uh, the propaganda thing that you don't care about? Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. I don't care about propaganda, just like I don't care about trauma as the monster anymore. I just, <laughs> I don't give a shit about any of this stuff. Is is the action good or not? I don't yes. I don't feel like I made my point clear enough. My point okay. that I was making was not that I think that Lost Bullet is propaganda, uh, because I don't give a shit about that either. My point was that I think there are people who will call things propaganda or propaganda because they're in English and they will give them a pass when there are fucking subtitles. And yes. That was the point that I was trying to make. Is- I agreed with your point, but I also felt like you were getting mad at an imaginary Twitter person <laughs> instead of just enjoying the action oh, movie. I'm that was awesome. Mad. I'm not getting mad at an imaginary Twitter person. Well, well, okay, but still, like, you know, for, <laughs> like push not- that. Push that away and just enjoy I, the kick-ass action movie. I That's all I was trying to say. say. Who the Twitter person is, but I was getting mad at a very real Twitter person. Mm. Um, Fair. <laughs> Fair. Yes. <laughs> all right, guys. Uh, Adam, a pleasure. It was amazing. Uh, Thank you for, for hooking this up, man. It was great. To- Absolutely. I can't wait to hear Yo Vice advice. Please do Aaron's one is what I would say. I want oh, to hear you, your you advice. Yeah. That's the one I, I wanted to know. And uh, and thank you, Mike. Uh, I'm glad we patched everything up. Love you, we buddy. Always will, brother. We <laughs> all right. Never, Cheers, guys. Never. Never. Yeah. Love you, Leah. Right. Right. Well, right. I didn't get a chance to ask for his because we talked about the sleeve thing, but I wanted to get his advice on how best to cut in the seam, off the seam. Like- <laughs> 
I think you gotta you gotta go off the scene because otherwise it'll fray. So you gotta go on the outside of the scene. Yeah, but like using this seam as a I don't know. I mean, this one's pretty good. Sometimes they get all yeah. That one looks good. That one actually looks professional. I just assumed that that was actually a professionally purchased. And also for everybody wondering, yes, you can in fact get action for everyone muscle shirts on our own Redbubble store. So uh, Adam, I expect you to be rocking one of those uh, at some point. One hundred percent. Shameless self. Motion. That's how you do it, baby. Yeah, that's get things done. Um, all right, I gotta bring us down for just a little bit. Um, because this morning I got up, I checked Twitter, and uh it has now been confirmed. Um Tommy Oliver, the Green Ranger, the White Ranger, Jason David Frank, uh has passed away. Um, and uh I don't want to, I don't want to speculate on the reasons he's passed away. Uh, you can check on Twitter and see the reasons, the reasons sound not great. Uh, but I don't want to speculate on that, but, um, I was a little bit older than, than most. So I, um, I, I'm not as big of a power Rangers fan as a lot of people, but I will say I tried to find my, my, uh, green dragon, uh, (laughs) saber, but instead I could just find these, uh, so if people want to know just exactly how big of a fan I am of Jason David Frank, uh, this is a big fucking bummer. Uh, he he was he was basically Power Rangers. I don't think Power Rangers becomes the success that it does without him playing Tommy. Um, and I've said this on the show before. Power Rangers is the perfect gateway drug to action kids. This is a series that. Isaac Florentine directed on. This is a series that Koichi Sakamoto directed on. Um, There's a lot of people listening to this show that are probably listening to it because of Power Rangers and because of Jason David Frank. And so we just wanted to take a little bit. I particularly just wanted to take a little bit to say RIP. We lost him and Kevin Conroy in like a fucking week, which is just shitty as hell. Um, so I don't know, Vice. I know you didn't grow up a big Power Rangers fan, Adam. I don't know about you. I don't know if you grew up watching it at all or not. I I did watch them because I liked, you know, like you say, gateway drug. I, I was kind of interested in like, um, you know, Japanese crazy Japanese monster stuff and Japanese action and and uh, you, you know, so I I watched Power Rangers sometimes, you know, from that sort of point of view. Yeah, that's how I came into it too. I was uh, I was a big, you know, I I was a I was a big Voltron fan when I was a kid. And so I, the idea that it was kind of like a live action Voltron was, was really appealing to me. And then after that, I springboarded into common rider and super sentai. And common rider was, was the shit for me. Yeah. Yeah, That's, that's mine. That's the one that's like my favorite is, is common rider, but, um, uh, yeah, go ahead. So, you know, I I was a fan, um, not, not too hardcore to it, but you know, I definitely enjoyed throughout the seasons. I think uh, maybe, uh, I think I stopped at a turbo, whatever series that was. You know, at that time I was kind of I mean, an older teenager. But I think the um, so the mid nineties and early nineties was a weird time for media because like there was like this really, it's really pointed like kind of multicultural push for things like things like uh, Captain Planet. We had these teenagers from around the world, with different cultures, different backgrounds, uh, or even something more more uh, more silly like. Uh, the Burger King Kids Club, remember that shit? The Burger King had like yep. they had these yep. kid mascots, and they were kids from old, like black kid, white kid, Asian kid. Like you know, it was a very it was a it was a it was a big push, and like you know, I think it was important that you know it was like one of those things with the first with the first kind of things of representation really taking hold, 
And so, you know, you could say it was kind of a crash corporate moving, you know, maybe still is, but like that was a, it was a, it was a big deal for like, you know, kids of all, all the whole spectrum of identities to be heroes. You know, that, that's, that's a good thing. No matter you know, for any kid, that's a good thing. And so Power Rangers was like kind of the a big staple of that. You know, had these kids from different backgrounds, you know, banded together to fight bad guys, you know, very simple black and white morality, but the, the, they had, they actually had, you know, some thoughtful lessons about anxiety and about uh, emotions, about you know grief and passing. Like th- these were stuff in the show uh, with, with where kids like kick monsters in the head, you know. So this is you know, and again that speaks to this having our, this the love we have now of action that's um, emotionally grounded. Can starts from stuff like that, where they take they take uh, they don't they take the intelligence of kids seriously. They don't treat them as stupid. They they ha- they have fun, have a good time, be entertaining, but they're still emotional and and moral reality to it same with uh, batman you know anime series you know that's you know that's a classic that's a classic work of television not just animated kids so that's a that's one of the greatest tv shows period of all time and because again it took kids seriously didn't talk down to them they had these really powerful dramatic stuff with this entertaining action so yeah it's you know it's a very sad day for you know that kind of all who came up, came up in those that era of where you kind of um Getting to see action, to you take it seriously, and also seeing yourself uh, become heroes in these various ways. And even if it's not yourself, even though, even, you know, it's Tommy's slash Jason, like, you know, he's like the nominal white guy leader, but no, it was like, we're all part of this team. We're, we're, we're all working together. It's not just these segmented things where it's like, uh, where you have Indiana Jones and like his uh, Asian sidekick or whatever. And not, not, not talking about Indiana Jones, but, you know, just like things we see in older times and it, it kind of tri- Evolves to like we, we can all be heroes. So I think that was a very important thing for kids back then to learn. Even even now, still too. Well, so yeah, you know, just a oh, so yeah. No, go ahead, Vice. Go. Oh. So yeah, I just want to say, you know, um, you know, definitely want to. Um, I, I think I saw a message uh, in the team's article. You know, the family doesn't want to want to to respect the wishes in this time. So you know, we don't want to speculate. We don't want to. We don't want to. You know, um, talk too much about what happened or why. Just you know, just uh, you know, just. Thank, thank him for what he did um, for TV and for children around the world. Uh, you know, and we hope we wish his family, the, you know, the, wish his family the best in this, this sad time. You know, we, we appreciate what, what he's done. Yeah, our our friend of the show, Scott Wiley, who runs the uh, Action Addicts podcast, I think said it best because he's a bit younger. He's the target age, and he's also a big Power Rangers fan. Basically, said um, kids felt a little bit better knowing that Tommy Oliver was in the world and could save them if something happened. And, uh, you know, and the other thing I wanted to to touch on vice, I think you, you nailed it is, you know, this shit show that we live in with social media, like power Rangers was woke as fuck and nobody criticized it for that. (laughs) Like, like it's, it's crazy to me how much we've like slid back uh, in the year 2022 uh, to where if you tried to do a show like Power Rangers right now, like people would like fucking the Ben Shapiro's would fucking criticize it for being like fake woke bullshit. And, uh, you know, and, and Jason David Frank was was at the front of that, the forefront of that. And uh, so, you know, it's uh, yeah, it just our heart goes out to his family. Our heart goes out to his kids. Um, and our heart goes out to the fans of this show that are listening that I know some of you are, are I've talked to some of you. I know some of you are really fucking hurting right now. To me, this one is a bit weird, but 
I can only equate it to how I felt when Brandon Lee died. I think that's what a lot of you are feeling right now. And, and I know that pain. Um, so yeah, uh, a big, big action for everyone hug to, uh, to all of you. Um, all right. Michael Jai White got a new fucking movie coming out as good as dead. Uh, Adam, have you watched this trailer yet? Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Oh, vice. Tell it, tell Adam about this trailer. Tell Adam. Well, so this is like, uh, well, I just kind of like this. For those who aren't where well, I know most of our listeners are, but you know, Adam, I'm not sure how familiar you are with Michael Jai White, but he is one of the greatest action stars uh, currently of this generation. Although the thing is, he doesn't really get a lot of notoriety or, or appreciation for what he's done because, you know, again, this is our sphere. Most of his work has been in the DTV realm, Undisputed and Blood and Bone. But he's done, he has plenty of work in the mainstream. He was in Dark Knight. Uh, uh, you know, enough with the clown. You know, he has these like bit roles in certain things, but also, you know, but he also his breadth of work is he was a he was a main character in a Tyler Perry series. Like he has that much range. He's a, he's a great you know, and of course, I think maybe his most well known star vehicle is Black Dynamite. You know, people from all walks of life love that movie because it's a great send up of black mutation but also being a kickass action movie. But you know, but this here as good as it. This is his bread and butter. This is his low key. You know, uh, indie slash low budget. You know, to be fair, uh, as a kicking movie, whereas him, you know, just being being goons up. So you, we have a setup here where he's like a ex special force cop dude, whatever kind of thing. You know, what what the the old contrivance, you know, ex badass training a kid to like fight. But then um, his style of martial arts is so specific and so unique that the goons, uh, you know, the kid posts a video on social media because it says yeah, social media twenty twenty two. But then his uh, old uh, enemies find out through that video that he's still alive, so they come for him, and, and you know, and bedlam ensues. So the trailer's, trailer's full of uh, you know, full of uh, fisticuffs and gunshots and you know, and cholos, I guess I don't know. It's like Mexican gang is like as like the his allies. It's a very strange kind of uh, <laughs> mix of, of genres here. But you know, again, this is his bread and butter. This is what he does. He shows off his uh, incredible physical talents and his kind of like his uh, sardonic, slightly comical delivery. Because you know he has, you know, he also he's a New Yorker, so he has, he has that like similar to what his type, you know, the, the kind of uh, sarcasm to it, to his serious, to his badassness. So he has that going from too. So like he, that all comes together in, in this trailer. So I'm very much looking forward to this. And, and I will say, uh, in recent years, uh, his movies, uh, he, he he does have his highs and lows. And he, like I think his most recent one, I think it was Commando, was what it was called, was definitely one of those lows. Kind of uh, he again, similar to like he's a forest cop. Fighting off these uh, home invaders, but it was kind of a kind of kind of a mess of a movie, unfortunately to say. But you know, he's always he's always showing up. He's always putting his best forward in films, no matter no matter how it turns out. And you can see it here, like he. And the thing is, like Michael Jai White is he's fifty five now. He moves like a twenty year old. He moves faster than he ever did. Like he has a uh, training videos on YouTube and stuff, on his YouTube channels and stuff, where he can like he can he can do a snap kick faster than you can blink. Like like li literally. You get to see his stuff. Like he is a a physical phenomenon, and he always has been. So I, I was just I'm so thankful that he's still around, still everybody's still moving, still allowed kicking to deliver deliver these like these 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 dope action movies. For, uh, however however we can get them, you know, I'll take I'll take them however, however we can get them. Like I'm, I'm so looking forward to it. What's yeah. the new one called? What's the what's the new one? The, as as good as dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 old school classic. Uh, title like, like, yeah. <laughs> the, other, 
Prometheus is the actual human giant, even though there's disagreement on Twitter as to how tall he actually is. But he is an actual human giant, and the way he moves is um, is ridiculous for somebody of his size. He should not be that fast. He should be moving like uh, it, it's like to me. It's like he should be moving like John Cena, and he moves more like Jeff Hardy uh, to for our wrestling fans. Um, but uh, but yeah, he's uh, Adam. If you ever have a chance to cast him, you definitely should. Um, I uh, I love this trailer. I think it looks uh, and the thing is that really has me excited is so he's also a pretty terrific writer and director. He's not directing this one, but he did write this one. But he actually I want to sing the praises of uh, his directorial debut, which is Never Back Down 2. Uh, people know how much I love Never Back Down. He came in and direct, wrote and directed Never Back Down 2. And that is a primo DTV action movie. So uh, much like the way I sing the praises when Scott Adkins gets to take some sort of control on one of his movies like Accident Man 2, uh, if Michael Jai White has some sort of creative control, I'm a lot more comfortable with how good the movie's going to be uh, because these are guys that take their actions seriously. They take what they're doing. They take their craft seriously and uh, they don't, they don't want to look like idiots. Uh, and so that's, that's ultimately what has me most excited is he wrote this. Uh, and so I think he's going to be a little more invested in it than maybe something like, the commando, which by, you know, we talked about it uh, way back on the show. I liked it better than you and Liam did, but um, I still, it's very clear. That was a, uh, that was a, uh, I, I gotta, I, I, I will always remember, I won't say the movie, but I will always remember uh, talking to Scott Adkins about a certain movie that he was in. And he was like, I bought a house and I needed to pay off the taxes. <laughs> And, uh, <laughs> and that's why he was in that movie. Um, you know, I, again, not going to say what that movie is, but, uh, but yeah, it, uh, I feel like, uh, this one might, might be something special. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, I, we've taken so much of your time, Adam. So I want to thank you for coming here, but we would have one more thing we want to, you can be privy to as part of our nonsense here, actually for everyone. Uh, so we're starting a new, a new bit, I think a new segment. This uh, it's, well, there's two of them, two and one. It's uh, advice where our listeners uh, write us in and ask for advice from kind of action movie related, but maybe not necessarily. And also your advice where they show us some cool shit they want to share. Um, so right now, though, I'll do the advice column. Jesus, listen to me. Advice column. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, yeah. So uh, here, this is our inaugural um, advice uh, question. This is from, again, from a homeboy, Aaron. Kick-ass Vargas on Twitter. So I'm going to be sure I read this clearly here. So he says, hey, Vice, hey, listen to me. Uh, a long time, first time. He wrote that. I, I, he wrote that. Uh, me and my girlfriend have a movie night, and I never really show her my action movies because I don't want her to make her, I don't want to make her watch action movies that just satisfy my taste, my Aaron. In your opinion, what are some good date night action films that both people can enjoy? My, I believe that this is a, this endeavor is the juice is not worth the squeeze. I feel like uh, you don't necessarily need to. Well, Mike, you, you can chime in uh, in a minute here because I know, like you, 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 Chelsea, like you, you, you share these experiences to kind of you know get a better sense of each other. But for me, like I just don't even bother because like uh, 
Well, you know, I've been married for like 12, how long have I been married for? Oh, so you're mad at me for that. 11 years, 11 years married. <laughs> and like, yeah, I know her taste, my wife's taste at this point. And I know that she's um, nothing really like, that I can do at this point is going to um, convince her to be an action junkie like I am. Now we do see, you know, we, we go see all the Marvel movies. We see Black Panther. We see Black Adam. You know, we see all the, you know, all the, all the big movies and we have a good time. But I think, Aaron, more importantly is that I think that you should re- reframe this question or reframe this issue. It's not really an issue. I think you should be more invested in what she watches. I think you should get more invested in what she what she enjoys watching for date night. Uh, for so like right now, my wife is watching the what's that show on Netflix? The Crown, the uh, the fake ass uh, Queen Queen of Queen Elizabeth uh, jockey drama. But now they're on season five now with the uh, with um, uh, William and uh, and and, uh, and uh, Diana. It's it's all bullshit. It's all like it's all like yes, it's based on reality, but it's all it's all bullshit. Like like a American Horror Story kind of shit. It's all made up bullshit for the for a drama. And I hate this shit. It's fucking. It's, it's so stupid. I, I I hate this garbage shit. But she is loving it. And the thing is, she's not like a, she's not an airhead that she might. That might be the uh, misconception about these shows that people who like dumb people watch this stuff. No, she's she's a she has a master's degree. She's a, she's a she's a nurse practitioner. She's brilliant. She loves just watching this foolishness to decompress. So for me, I want to be a part of her decompression. I want I want to be part of her her relaxation for the day for the night. So even though I hate this stuff, I kind of make myself, or when I'm whenever I'm available, watch it with her and enjoy it with her. I want to enjoy what she enjoys. I don't need to have her come and watch all the dumbass X movies that I like because that's for me. And and I I have I go in depth with them with you guys, but I want to see what she's. Doing. I want to see where her head is at. I want, where her head is at. I want to see what makes her tick. I want to see what gives her joy in her life. So I think that's maybe the the date night. Issue is like, don't think of it as like, how do you bring her to you? Like, just go to her, just like do what she wants to do. And yeah, it might suck, it might be painful for you, whatever, whatever you watch. You know, I know she went to some some movies I can't stand. Like, I watched, I tried to watch, I tried to watch the uh, one of the top pair movies. I was like, I, I can't do this, but you know, <laughs> but you know, that's, that's okay too. Sometimes you can just tap out, and that's, that's okay. She, if she loves you, she understands, but you know, make the effort to get into what she's into, and I think that'll help like enrich that relationship because you can kind of get a feel more of. Where both of you are at emotionally, spiritually, and so forth, and you just just the fact that you're together. I think it, it, maybe more than anything else, the movie itself is irrelevant. It doesn't matter what you're watching. The fact that you're watching it together, that's what's important. Spending time together, whether there's some dumb bullshit that you, you don't like, or just you know just watching nothing, like just being together is the most critical part of it. So don't so don't take the actual medium too seriously. Just 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 be together with her, and I think that'll work out fine. So yeah, so, so yeah, if you guys have any thoughts to that one. Yeah, uh okay, so first and foremost, uh Adam, your and Amy's cat is the most beautiful cat that <laughs> I like reminds me of my old cat who unfortunately I just I lost a couple months ago and uh just a just an absolutely beautiful cat. Um <laughs> but also Adam, I, I do want to kick this to you because since you are with Amy, you are in a very unique position, I think, to kind of uh, address this question because you have you are you are a film director, but you are also dating a woman who uh, knows her action, knows her movies, uh, has literally written the book on Tom Cruise. So mm-hmm. I am I am very curious about your take on this. Well, a couple things. One is, uh, and, and I think Vice is what you were you were getting at a lot in that is that in, in, in his asking for advice, you know, he's saying, I like this, 
what should I watch with her? He didn't say she likes this. He didn't say, here's here's what I've noticed she gravitates to. Here's what her interests are. So what would you advise for both of us? You know what I mean? Because you could be like, oh, does she like, uh, you know, beautiful foreign art cinema? Then watch Hero, you know, the, the, the Chinese movie, you know, or does she like, you know, uh, you know, you know, Braveheart is an action movie. Does she like historical epics? Watch Braveheart. You know what I mean? Like, but he, he's not saying anything about her. And I think what your advice was, look, it's about the the both of you. What can you both bring to it? So I think that's, he's got to start there. What is she into? If I recognize what she's into and can honor that, then we can start to share things. Also, we'll say Amy and I watched Avengement recently together. Um, I didn't, I didn't have any expectations about it other than a lot of people said that's the one that's, you know, because I was like, what's, I want to watch a Scott Atkins movie. I like when action movies are like, like you were saying earlier, Michael, about your recommendations for your other friend. Like, I, I don't want it. This is going to sound like such a fucking dismissal. I don't mean, but like a re, like a total movie, a full movie, drama, acting, script, and kick-ass action. And Avengement, like 100% was that. And Amy and I both loved it. And, and we were like, this is like, you know, lock, stock, and two smoking bear. It's on that level of movie. And he kicks ass like a motherfucker. And why don't people talk about him as a strong actor as much as they should? Because he's just performance is so charming and driven and awesome in that fucking movie. Right. So I feel like that's a movie that could appeal to anybody that likes movies. Right. And um, but yeah, I mean, it's funny, the negotiation with Amy. I mean, what's wonderful about her? What's wonderful about the relationship as a whole is just that we both love movies. And like anytime any one of us wants to go down some kind of rabbit hole, like Oh, did you know that in like the 1920s, like this actress did all the, you know, I was like, shit, tell me more. Like we're always, you know, whatever it is about movies, we're just obsessed. She has to watch sometimes every other week. She does a radio show in LA. Um, she's on a radio called Film Week um, on KPCC on NPR. She has to watch like 15 movies, right? And plus she's got to watch the movies that she's re re reviewing for New York Times, whatever. Like all she does is watch movies all day long. So to then be like, so now we're going to watch a movie for fun. You know, there's a little, it's like, there's not drama there because we just love movies, but it's always like, wait, are we watching a movie because you have to do it for work <laughs> or are we watching a movie because it's for fun? Um, but we still make tons of time. We're constantly driving all the way to fucking Santa Monica to go to the Arrow Theater and, and, and watch movies. So like, we just love, we're just, the relationship in a lot of ways is just built around the fact that we both have this thing in common where we love movies, we love talking about it. And then, we do couples therapy together. And I've been telling this story recently out loud because like her taste in movies can be so infuriating. She very famously, her the first episode of the canon was her talking about how she doesn't think Goodfellas is a good movie. Oh, I used to listen to the canon. Trust yeah. me. I understand yeah. Amy Nicholson infuriating people. Trust yeah. me. And, and that's the that's the thing about her whole personality is that she's fucking brilliant, charming, incredible writer. You know, her writing in the New York Times is amazing. But like she's wrong, most of the time she's not fucking wrong. And like, oh, I, I, I want. We were in couples therapy a couple, oh, a couple of weeks ago, and I started crying because she relentlessly calls Blade Runner boring. And I'm like, <laughs> you can't, you have to stop saying. Like, I grew up with this movie. My father took me to see I, it. Like, it's I why mean, I'm a fucking filmmaker. He's, he's right on that one. So that's <laughs> right on that. One. I'm calling you out. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Adam. I like I like Amy more than you, so I'm just. <laughs> this is always the thing. I mean, this is what you know. It was like when she had that show with Devin, 
Farachi, it was like he was correct, but everybody liked her more. <laughs> she was more charming and more clever. But she was wrong. <laughs> and that's how she gets you. The first, I'm going to tell this story, and I'm going to tell the story that I've never told. I've told people this story, but never on a podcast. I want to tell you the story about how Amy and I met. How Amy and I met was I was supposed to meet a friend of mine at a bar. This was in 2016. The fucking... And I know we're we're going we're spending a lot of time answering this guy's advice, but I don't know what this is going to tell you something. I don't take from it what you can. So I'm supposed to meet my friend um, at a bar because they were she was going to get together. They were all going to watch the the debates, the Hillary Trump debates back then, 2016. And um, and that day I had happened to see the movie, um, and I always get the title a little bit wrong, but Birth of the Nation, right? The the modern one, the 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 yeah. The yeah, the, the one, the Sundance one. Yeah, the Nat Turner, you know. So I saw I saw a screening of that at the DJA, and when it ended, I was weeping. Like, that movie fucked me up. Like, I was crying so hard, and I was like, oh, the predict all of us as Americans, this brutal legacy, and oh, what are we going to do? And the way they film him and the camera going up, just fucking ruined, crying, surrounded by, you know, professionals. Still can't. So then I show up at this bar, and my friend's not there. But I recognize like Amy and her, oh, those are Jen's friends. Okay, I'll sit with them. I sat down and and they're watching the debates. And I was like, I just came from this movie and man, it just destroyed me. Like I'm still really fucked up about it. And Amy does this, right? She goes, here's my review. And she just holds up her variety review and then turns away from me. And I read her review and she fucking trashed that movie. She fucking hated it. And I was like, this is, I was... <laughs> And then we immediately fell in love. So it was like the <laughs> ultimate neg. She negged the shit out of me. We're a fucking movie critic foo. <laughs> oh, man, this is, I feel like this is an action for everyone exclusive. The <laughs> and Amy Nicholson love story. Uh, this is, this is amazing. This is, I am so glad you told this story. Uh, no, because that was always the thing is like, Look, I, and we've talked about this on the show. Devin's Devin. You know, I, I'm not going to get into anything, but Amy used to infuriate the shit out of me uh, because, like you said, she's so brilliant and so wrong, except she's right on Blade Runner. Um, but, uh, but, but, uh, that's how she gets you is yeah. you agree with some of the shit she says. And it's one of those fucking, and then suddenly you're like, oh, maybe she's yeah. right about this. Maybe she's yeah. right about this. Oh. But, um, <laughs> no, I mean, Amy's brilliant. Um, and I, I literally, I legit, until we started recording, had no idea you guys were a couple. And that makes me, that fills my heart with so much joy. Um, I, I fucking love it. Um, okay. So here's what I'm going to say. So my wife is a action nerd, uh, but she grew up in a house where she wasn't really like, she couldn't even watch friends. Like friends is her favorite TV show because her dad wouldn't allow her to watch it. <laughs> she had to sneak watch it. So when we started dating, uh, you know, and we've been together 12 years now. Um, I started, she, she likes action. She knew she liked action. Um, but I started introducing her stuff. So Aaron, um, for me, think about physicality. Think about, um, so our favorite actor, our mutual favorite actor is Scott Adkins. Uh, because Scott is Scott crosses all boundaries right because he's fucking beautiful he's a good actor and uh he's also amazing 
physically. So uh, I got her hooked. Basically, Undisputed 3 was what I got her hooked on because she loved watching. She just she's she's a dancer. She loves her favorite movie series is Step Up. Uh, which is actually one of our favorite movie series. And so that was my Amy's obsessed with step up. I just got to throw that in there. She's always, she's always talking about step up. She's not dumb. Step up is brilliant. Step up is one of the most amazing film series of all time. Um, Step up. The step up movies are martial arts movies. I have said this and, and the great outlaw Vern agrees with me. We, at some point, Vern and I are going to do a series on the step up movies. They're martial arts movies just with dancing. And so Aaron, that's the thing. Find that entry point. Know, know what your girl wants, know what she's looking for and find that entry point. Maybe start with step up. Maybe start with like, here's this. And then, Oh, here's undisputed three or accident man two. Um, But think about everybody wants to be like, Oh, if you're going to introduce a, a your girl to action movies, they got to have some romance aspect. That's bullshit because women will absolutely 100% notice a bullshit shoehorned in romance plot. They, they don't give a shit about that. Think about the physicality, the beauty of motion and movement. Those are the movies that you want to focus on. Like I would guarantee that, something like an old Shaw brothers movie might actually be more successful just because the beauty of movement and motion, that's, that's what you want to focus on. That's the way to go. Um, But Aaron, you know, this man, like she's watching your videos. Like, you know, this for those who don't know, Aaron is like fucking posting videos all the time of he's a, he's an aspiring stunt man. You know, this man, uh, like focus on those videos, uh, or focus on those movies. That's, those are the ones you want to show her. Uh, ones where the peak of human physical perfection is what you want to watch. Yeah. And plus, like you're you're ripped, man. So just like don't just dance for her. You you, you know, just turn TV off. Just dance. Do do, do magic mic. Like you you become magic mic. Do what you. <laughs> it's all good, baby. You got you got it all going for you. Just you know you don't have to force anything. You know. Yeah, else. I like, mean, you know. we didn't talk about it, but uh, frankly, the greatest fucking trailer that came out this week is the fucking Magic Mike's Last Dance trailer. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, like that's a day one. I'm fucking in the theater day one for that. The fucking Magic Mike movies are. Like I have said this time and time again, Magic Mike XL Double XL is the best non-action action movie that has ever been made. It is incredible, and it's such a good. I, I that movie in particular, there is no conflict in that movie. It's two hours of just men getting along and treating each other with respect. And I've never quite seen a movie like that. That's that engaging without conflict and is entirely about positive male friendship. Positive masculinity, right? Like you, like your boy Manganello has one of the most amazing fucking scenes that I have ever seen in a movie. That fucking scene where he's dancing to, I want it that way is that's like, it's incredible. It's classic cinema. Absolutely. Scorsese, Scorsese gift cinema. I mean, <laughs> classic cinema. It's incredible. Um. All right. So, Vice. Now you got it. Do you have a yo Vice for us? I don't know. We've gone super long, so I'll, I'll see that for a, a future edition. 
But yeah, that's it. I just want to make. I just wanted to see how that would work out. That just a uh, yeah. inaugural uh, bit. I, so I think, yeah, I think we're gonna keep it going. So again, um, hashtag advice because people want to keep people. I've seen people say ask vice. It's not ask vice. It's advice <laughs> because you're looking for advice. Uh, so hashtag advice, and then if you have a YouTube video or something that you want us to be aware of and highlight, it's hashtag yo vice. I think we're going to keep this going because I think this is, this is a great, like, this is perfect. This was such a good, uh, good segment. So hopefully I don't sound too stupid. I know some shit. I know some shit. So it's, it's okay. When, when, if, you, if you find out that I, won't know, I don't know some shit, they'll know. It's all good. Don't worry about it. You, you get your answers. Don't worry about it. You'll be all right. All right. Adam Egypt Mortimer. Uh, dude, this has been so much fucking fun. I literally cannot. Cannot tell you. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, if people, okay, so obviously first people need to watch some kind of hate. Daniel isn't real. Uh, Arch enemy. Uh, your segment on holidays. They need to watch all of those things. But if they want to find you on social media, where can they find you? I'm on uh, Twitter at, at Adam Egypt. I'm on Instagram uh, Adam Egypt six six six. I'm, I'm on both of those and I like I you know I, I I love when um filmmakers aspiring filmmakers young filmmakers they want to hit me up on Twitter ask me questions but do it but not the DMs fuck the DMs if you have a question about like cinema my career or whatever ask it on Twitter so I can answer so it can be helpful to everybody when people hit me up on DM and they're like tell me the secrets I had to become a director I'm like first of all I don't know second of all make this public so some other motherfucker can benefit um <clears throat> but that's where to find me and uh, and I just guys, it was so awesome being on this. Thank you for for having me. And like, honestly, Vice, like your your Twitter, you know, we didn't super get into it, but like, your Twitter, your 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 interest and perspective on action has been like so helpful to me. And like that, you know, everybody go back and look at that thread. I think it was in July when I posted looking for action recommendations and like just the whole community that you surround. You know, you were retweeting from like one perfect headshot you know shogun supreme like every like it was like oh my god i'm getting like the most expert opinions you know what i mean it's like when you entered the conversation it was like oh vice has entered the the fight <laughs> you know what i mean like well and, uh, th thank you for uh, the praise but you know that i think what you, you you highlighted that's the real strength of what we have is community like you know this is again this is we talked about you know the twitter kind of blowing up whatever but like that's the power of it is like we have this international community of experts that you wouldn't and not to talk shit about, uh, not to talk shit about, you know, professional journalists, but like, you know, some of them don't notice it. Like, you know, they'll, they'll have this academic background, but we have legitimate, like high level scholars right here on social media that people might not have any idea about. Like if you follow like, a, you know, if you follow uh, uh, Ehrlich or whatever, you should be following Shogun. Like that he has a, a way hard, his depth of knowledge about martial arts and not technical stuff like the, the, levels of 4k all that stuff he is deep into that shit so like you guys like this is the power of social media this is the power of expanding your your knowledge bases like you know these are these are legitimate scholars of film just because they don't have an article in the times or just because they don't have their uh their you know their hollywood elsewhere website that don't mean that they don't mean that they, they don't know what they're doing they, they know in some cases more than these people you know so i would definitely take advantage of that right listen you know like it's a really yeah, and, and, and yeah, and yeah, tell your friends. Yeah, fuck that. Adam, tell all your, your filmmaker friends that you know, follow Shogun, uh, follow Headshot, follow Christian V, like genre filmatic. 
Like, this shit is real, man. Like, you motherfuckers have been in the game for years. Like, yeah. it's not just some, some assholes in underwear, you know, talking shit on the internet, like me. These motherfuckers, <laughs> these are serious dudes. So, like, they want to set the game up. They got to, you know, tap that source. You know, it's, it's all there for them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> those, are, those are the three that I was going to say. Uh, Shogun Supreme, Alex, uh, One Perfect Headshot, and uh, Christian, uh, genre film critic, or genre film addict. They're, like... If you want to know the up and coming, like what is the cutting edge of action, follow those three because they mm-hmm. will, they will, they will, they will steer you right. Um, we try, we're not even close to what they're doing here. Uh, yeah, they're, they're, I like, I learn shit from them every goddamn day. Uh, so you know, like, you know, but the same way people like you know, going crazy about RRR, these guys have been following Hollywood indie movies for like for a decade almost. You know, they know they know what's going on, man. So, you know, that's that's what that's our that's our uh, advice to y'all, the movie <laughs> industry, follow the motherfuckers. <laughs> oh, so yeah, so yeah, I, and so coming out to you, so yeah, again, Adam, thank you so much for coming to our show. Thank you for you know, um, sharing your background and, and you know, the 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 trials and traversals of the film industry and you know, how, to, how you get things done. Cause you know, like you said, this is going to be helpful to everybody listening, everybody who's trying to trying to come up, trying to do their own thing. You know, the more we can learn about this stuff, the better everyone else, the the better the whole field will be. I think, you know, we, we have to, again, using the power of social media, the power of our podcast voices to help, you know, enrich and bolster this, the, the art, you know, this, this is what it's all about. Yeah. So again, thank you for coming. Absolutely, and I hope to see you guys sometime IRL, maybe Fantastic Fest, some shit yeah. like that. You can all hang. Well, if, for creating this I, podcast too. Thank you for putting this together, man. It's a, it's a, it's a sick podcast, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm glad that you brought all these maniacs together. Well, that's uh, that's Liam. So uh, as much as it pains me to say it, Liam uh, brought this together. But hopefully, if radial happens, uh, you know, we will, uh, we will, we will be. You know, we've got some things that I'm not at liberty to discuss at this point, but there are some conventions that have reached out to us. So, you know, hopefully we can keep this going. Uh, but yes, would love to meet you IRL. Um, you know, it's, it's, it, I'm not going to lie. It's very weird to me that I'm talking to the guy that made Daniel isn't real. Uh, because again, like I said, that movie just fucking devastated me. So um, I, I, I cannot stress enough you need to watch if you're listening you need to watch adam's movies um and uh and yeah uh and also listen to unspooled amy's amazing and uh you should listen to unspooled so um but uh but yeah uh all right uh we are gonna wrap this up uh i'm not gonna do our usual uh our usual you know sign off because frankly i i signed us up for mastodon we've got a reddit now uh we're gonna have a discord eventually uh all sorts of shit so i'm just gonna say if you want to follow us go to linktree slash a4e podcast you can find all of our links uh we have an email uh we are next week we are doing a tribute to albert pune because unfortunately he is on his last days. And so one of the things I put out there is if you want to uh, send us your thoughts, just record something quick and uh, send it to send it to our email, which you can find on the the podcast, but it's also um, 
it's basically it's a4epod at gmail.com. Uh, send it that to us and I will cut that in. We are going to have a round table session. Theoretically, uh, I, things can fall through with vice Liam, me, Aaron Stewart on, uh, and Brandon Streisning and Patrick Bromley of F this movie. And then I will cut in other stuff because, uh, Albert Pune is maybe the patron saint more than anybody else of this podcast. So, uh, be on the lookout for that. Uh, Adam, thank you so much for joining us. Vice love you, brother. And, uh, we will, uh, talk to y'all next week. Love you guys. Peace. You're the best. Thank you.